Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It is one minute after seven. Great song choice. Bad obsession. Guns and Roses. I've got a sneaky feeling there is a theme somewhere in here because when Ben Francis is producing, you can guarantee the music for the night, the music for the day, there is a theme associated with it. We'll come to Ben very shortly on the programme. Mark Watson with you through to 10 o'clock tonight. Looking forward to having your company. Telephone number 0800 150 That's 0800 150 you can text us here on double eight double three. We will open the lines. There will be plenty of opportunity to have your say on a number of sporting matters. Tonight on the program, big hitting Australian baseball player Jack Barry, known as Kangaroo Jack, a member of the Auckland Tuatara baseball franchise, will join us on the program shortly. Tuatara in a big, big hole at the moment, not playing good baseball, losing another series over the weekend to the Canberra Cavalry. They they travel this week to Geelong. Another four-game series against Geelong Korea. Hopefully, hopefully, they can start to turn things around and make the playoffs for the Australian Baseball League. Garth Galloway, Mr Cricket Commentator himself, want to get Garth on the programme, just want to get his... Thoughts now that he's had a few days to think about the series that New Zealand's just played against Pakistan in this in two tests. What has Tim Southey brought to the captaincy? We seem to have adopted a little bit more of a Brendan McCullum approach. Call it baseball, call it whatever you want. I think we're prepared to lose in the name of trying to win, which is fantastic. The Black Caps can do it. They don't have a legacy of winning. We're not expected to always win. And therefore, I think it's okay to experiment. It's okay to lose in trying to win. Slightly different if you're the All Blacks. You're expected to win every game. Andy Buckley, UK correspondent on the programme. FA Cup over the weekend. My mob, Liverpool, Wolves, 2-all, Aston Villa. Exit. The FA Cup, Newcastle out. Manchester City doing a demolition on Chelsea. How important is the FA Cup? I think it's a great competition because you can get these smaller clubs having their moment in the sun, their moment to shine. We will talk with Justin Nelson, Mr Basketball in this country, one of our leading basketball commentators, heads up basketball at Sky Television, the Breakers, the Australian, what do they call the Australian? I'm getting confused between the Australian Baseball League and the Australian Basketball League. Is it the ABL? It is the ABL, isn't it? It is the ABL. There you go. Sorry. just, just. I've just been swimming, by the way. Long swim, Parnell Bars. Don't want to bring out the violins, but a little bit foggy. A little bit foggy. Uh, we're also going to catch up with Howard Dobson, Dobbo's Plays of the Week. Dobbo, always good for some opinion. He writes some really good stuff online. He's got some interesting points. Want to discuss those with him. We'll open the lines off the back of that. And also, Sky Sport tennis commentator, one of New Zealand's top juniors back in his day, Lee Radovanovich, to wrap day one of the ASB Men's 
Classic being played at number one Tennis Lane, or what is formerly known as Stanley Street. All that, a lot more, will bring you highlights. And of course, after 10 o'clock tonight, we'll bring you the first one-day international between the Black Caps and Pakistan, ball-by-ball coverage across SENZ. Ben Francis, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, welcome. Hey, Watto, how's things? Well, exactly that. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm not sure what day of the week it is. I'm not sure what time of the day it is, to be honest. It's just holiday mode, isn't it? It's hard to sort of switch back in. Well, the motorways are a bit busier today, so I think a few people uh, probably have a bit of uh, you know returning to work blues today after probably oh, quite a wet time off, especially if you're up uh, this part of the country. Yeah, I do feel sorry for people, particularly last week. It's your holidays, you're looking forward to it, you're looking forward to going camping, that quintessential New Zealand summer, and bang, you're basically forced to pack up or not even go, which was the case with us, and find yourself sort of stuck at home with the kids and everybody's bored and everybody's got cabin fever and no one's really sure what to do with themselves. Yeah, not not the most fun, but I got up to a few fun things over the holidays, so that's all that matters to me. What a fun thing has been. Well, I went fishing. Good. On Lake Taupo, caught my first ever fish, so, yep. uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and also yesterday, I because I had a, rare, a very rare Sunday off where I didn't have to take leave, so I got back on the surfboard for the first time in about 12 years. Brilliant. Been great at Mirawai, where I live, because everything's been easterly. The West Coast has been stunning. Yeah, we, uh, my partner and I, we hit, hit the, the waves, the mean waves of Oriwe yesterday. So lots of people out there surfing. So yeah, first time in about twelve years on a, on a longboard. Uh, had a few falls, <laughs> managed to stand up a few times. So I was quite happy. It took a little while to get back into the groove, but glad glad to be back out on the on that water. Oh no, good on you, mate. Good on you. We will talk plenty. Uh, just quickly before we get Jack Barry up, uh, baseball uh, member of the Tuatara baseball team. Uh, the music theme for tonight. Uh, tonight we're doing songs with harmonicas in it. Brilliant. Love it. Bad obsession. Fantastic. Guns and Roses. Good thing we didn't let the lyrics go for too long. Some <laughs> colourful language in it. Great yeah. song, though. But uh, as usual, we know we'd love for people to text through their favourite songs that feature the harmonica, and who knows, it may get played later on during the show. No, we look forward to it. So it is seven minutes after six, 0800 150 You can join us here on the programme if you do want to have your say at any point, but do feel free to text us on double eight double three songs with the harmonica in it. We are just trying to get hold of Kangaroo Jack, Jack Barry, slugger for the Tuatara. Played across a number of Australian teams over the years, including uh, Melbourne. I think he's spent a bit of time in Perth as well. Disappointing weekend for baseball. Looking forward to calling games on Friday night. They were then doubleheader on Saturday. They were both rained out. Ended up having a doubleheader yesterday and it didn't go the way of the Tuatara, losing two games to the Canberra Cavalry. Tuatara was sitting... One place higher than Canberra in the Northeast Division, sitting there behind Brisbane, hopefully looking to try and make the playoffs, but things have suddenly swung a little bit, probably more in Canberra's favour. Anyway, Kangaroo Jack, they call him, Big Jack Barry, slugger, plays right field for the Tuatara, joins us on the programme. Evening to you, Jack. Welcome. Hey mate, how you going? Yeah, good buddy. How, how, how are you enjoying your time with the Tuatara? Mate, it's, it's, I'm having a good time, 100%. It, it's always a, a different transition going and playing in, uh, in a different country. Um, but for the most part, it's a beautiful country. I've been doing whatever I can to travel around and check it out. Um, 
but as as for the team, it's it's been it's been great. We're just you know coming into the last couple of weeks into a uh, a championship run, well, yeah, to, to make the playoffs. So yeah, and being an being an Aussie, there's always a lot of banter between the Kiwis and the Aussies. You've been accepted into the Kiwi far now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, we're we're all we're all pretty close uh, in 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 the team. Um, Especially with with the amount of diversity that we do have, because we have we have guys from Japan, Taiwan, Venezuela, um, and then you know it, it makes it kind of easy for me too, because so, there's a lot of English speaking dudes. But for the most part, everyone's everyone's all boys and chill. So, <laughs> so how did you end up signing a contract and playing for the Tuatara? I mean, you've been in the ABL, you've been with Melbourne previously. I think also you might have been with Perth previously. No, I was with uh, Canberra. Canberra, my apologies. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I had uh, Regan reach out to me. Um, uh, one of someone else who's around in baseball in Australia, Ben Moore, um, with Down Under Travelers, I think is a, he has his program. He reached out to Regan, and then Regan reached out to me, um, and we basically just were, were chatting in the early stages of last year um, to get me to come over and play for him because I heard that they were starting back up. Um, because of the the period with with COVID, um, so yeah, I mean it was an opportunity that I, I, I wanted to take, uh, and any any chance I get to go play baseball in a different country and, and go and go experience a different culture, I'm always down for. Um, so I was I was very excited to jump all over the mm. jump all over pl- playing with with Auckland. How did you end up making baseball your sport, particularly in a country like Australia, where you know cricket very much the national game? Um, yeah, yeah, mate. It's it's a bit of a weird, it's, uh, definitely a weird one. Especially, yeah, just exactly like you said. Um, I was uh, I started playing baseball in cans when I was like 13 years old. Um, previously, I did a lot of skateboarding and swimming. Um, and I was on the way, way to the skate park one day, and I saw some people playing baseball at a field near the skate park, and I decided to stop in and check it out. And um, I still remember a, a guy uh, hit a hit a uh, hit a double to right center gap. And the sound off the bat just kind of, it sounded cool, and I kind of fell in love instantly. And from there, kind of just blossomed into a, into a decent career. Yeah. And at what point in your career, how how young were you when you started to maybe realise that perhaps you had a bit of ability, that you had a bit of bit of talent? Um, I think I was sixteen when I had scouts kind of chatting to me and 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 wanting me to try to like pursue in terms of a contract and I personally thought and my, my mum she's she's the best she was the best baseball agent you ever had she was awesome but um she uh we we kind of sat down we thought you know I was way too young to be kind of jumping into that plus I'd only been playing the game for around four years um so I just it was around that time where I was like okay I, I kind of got a bit of um bit of traction here and I this is something that I can actually probably do for for a long time and that's that's kind of when I kind of put put my foot down a little bit and started training a lot more and, and putting a lot more effort into it. And okay, as a player, you're clearly aware of Major League Baseball. Were you aware of the Australian Baseball League? Um, I wasn't aware of it until uh, it, it came out, which was in I think 2010. Um, I didn't realise we even had a, a league before that because there, there was an ABL before. Um, back back in the olden days, um, and then when ABL came back, that was when I kind of was brought into the whole the whole world of Australian baseball, and I was actually a uh, a bat boy for the Brisbane Bandits back when they were at the showgrounds uh, over in Brisbane when I when I was still I might have been 
yeah, 16 or 15 mm-hmm. or something like that. So, yeah, I didn't know too much about it, but um, it, I've definitely, once it came around, it was definitely something that was always around and always something that, uh, as a young kid, I strived mm-hmm. to kind of play in and look look up to the guys who did play in that league at, at that time. Like most kids, um, was the dream to try and play in the major leagues? Was it to try and play minor league baseball? Uh, you spent some time at university in the United States? Yeah, so my, my I think every kid's dream once they get to a point where they are playing baseball is to play in the major leagues, and that was always my dream. And when I signed with the Minnesota Twins, um, I you know thought that was the... Uh, the first step of, of, of getting there. Um, and I went over there and experienced minor league baseball. Um, and I ended up getting released and then I ended up going to university and I still wanted to pursue that dream. I, I, I still thought that I was able to make it in the major leagues. And so I <laughs> trained and, and, and busted my ass, not only in the classroom, but off, off the field too, and um, trying to get back into professional baseball. Yeah, why? I mean, what was the difference between playing baseball in Australia, suddenly getting signed, and you get into the minor leagues only to get cut? I mean, what did they cut you for? What, what was it that you weren't doing? What, what, what didn't they see in you? <laughs> to be honest, mate, I, 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 I still to this day don't really know the answer to that. Um, I was pulled in and, and was told it was a business decision basically um but i i had I, I was before i was signed i was told i was a green kid because i would been playing baseball for five six years or so, less than that yeah um and you know for, for someone to do that and then sign a professional contract to go play in the minor leagues um and the the, the difference between australia and america is, is 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 insane everyone over there throws harder um everyone it's it's a it's a completely it's a massive step up from what baseball is in australia to, to america so going over there and, and trying to experience that and kind of jumping in head first, it was, it was a lot. Um, and I mean, I, I held my own for the most part. Um, but at the same time, I didn't get the longevity of what I was looking for in, in terms of a, mm. of, of a club kind of keeping me around. Yeah, yeah. How intense is it? How, how much pressure is there at a minor league level? I, I mean, you're almost just a science experiment for the major league club, aren't you really? Well, yeah, basically. So it, it, you, it, it turns into, you know, you, you, when you're a kid, you play, you play rep ball and rep league, and you and you go to nationals, and you, and it's all fun. And don't get me wrong, it's still competitive, and you still have to take pride in what you're doing. But when when you go to the minor leagues and, and you play professional, it becomes a job. So like your, your your expectations are completely different about what you're actually doing on the field. Don't get me wrong, it's still fun. Baseball will always be fun, but it's just, it's like a different light mm. on how coaches and front office people and People who don't really, who aren't playing the game, but who are overlooking things and expecting things to happen, um, it's a completely different expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's fair to say, throughout your baseball career, you've experienced the highs and the lows, and we've sort of touched a little bit, I guess, on a low point getting cut from a minor league baseball. What have been some of the high points? Um, oh man, <laughs> uh, I, I went, I played in the. Uh, NAIA College World Series over in the States with the University of Northwestern Ohio. Um, I broke a home run record in the Canadian Summer Bowl League, uh, which was 23 for the season. Um, I had a, I had a three home run game in a different league. 
Um, I think uh, my my first home run here in the ABL, that was definitely a, a big one because I was fresh out of being released and I was 19 and um, or 20 or whatever it was. And it, it was really cool being able to come here and play for the first time in the ABL. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. To be honest with you, like it, it's it's it sounds strange, but I don't really kind of focus on the on those type of things. I, I didn't really think about it to be honest with you. <laughs> You're listening to SENZ. Jack Barry, member of the Auckland Tuatara baseball team, is the guest is my guest on the program. So you're here with the uh, Tuatara. You've got Darren Bragg as a hitting coach. Have you learnt much from Darren? Oh, every day. Um, Braggsy is the the he, he's he's just the man like you, you you love being around him he always imparts a lot of knowledge whether it's about life or hitting um but yeah um he's he's an absolute gem to be around and i think the the more you can kind of hang around him and pick his brain and kind of just chat to him and get to know how he did things um i think any anyone would would, would be a better player for it so we're very lucky to have have a, have a have a guy like him Okay, let's talk about the current situation of the Tuatara in a little bit of a hole at the moment. I think they've um, won two, lost eight out of their last ten games. Uh, the bats are not swinging. What's going on? How much of this is psychological? Oh, mate, I don't, I don't think it's anything like that at all. To be honest with you, I think we're, um, I think we're exactly where, 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 where we need to be. I don't, I don't have any, any stresses with, with what we're doing. Um, I have a feeling that we're going to still power through on, on, on the last two weeks of, of, of the season um, we aren't we aren't guys who kind of let kind of get you know down on it so um, personally I, I, it, it is what it is it's at the end of the day it's baseball things happen um, and you know it's it has no has this it's no one's real fault no one's really pointing fingers at anyone it's more or less just kind of just have to roll with the punches so um, yeah and that's your own personal point of view as well. That's how you're dealing with maybe, and that's how you've always dealt with perhaps any form slump that you might have experienced individually. Well, uh, I mean, yes, sure, yeah. Um, I was chatting to one of our coaches, Frank uh, Fister, who's also an absolute gem of a dude to be around as well. Again, we're very lucky to have a coach like him. But he would, whenever you're in a slump, or or how he explains it is, you're not, you're never in a slump. You're you're always one swing away. You're always one. You're always one swing away, or one hit away from being completely out of that. Or you're you 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 find other ways to build, build build up your confidence and build up how you're feeling, even though it's not in the result that you're you're finding. For example, if I hit a a hard line drive to a fielder and get out, that doesn't mean that it's a bad at bat. Mm. Like yeah, I got out like on paper, or but it doesn't mean that I played bad. Um, same, same, same kind of thing is, is what's going on here. Our, our hitters are hitting the ball and we're barreling balls and hitting it hard and our pitchers are doing their job too. It's just one of those things where it's just the result at the end of the day that we, we just haven't gotten. And then I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm very confident that we're, we're, we will figure it out in, mm. in, the, in the next two weeks. Over the weekend, really special moment for a Canberra Cavalry player, Boss Moanara, um, playing his 300th game. I'd imagine you've played a bit of baseball with him. He's a man who has represented New Zealand. His allegiances now lie with Australia. Tell us a little bit about Boss. <laughs> Again, Boss. Yeah, but Boss is an all. Yeah, he, he's awesome, man. I had a, had the privilege of playing with him when I was with Canberra back when I was yeah 19, 20 years old. 
Um, and yeah, he's just he's one of those dudes. He's just you know he's the, he's the life of the party. You 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 love to be around him. Um, he's always such a positive dude. Um, so yeah, it was it was awesome that we, he was able to be here in New Zealand and be able to um, celebrate his 300th game. And um, I'm pretty sure we 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 uh, gave him gave him a bit a bit of a clap and like a congratulations too because the fact that you know it is it is a big feat, especially in the ABL. Um, so yeah. He's, he's he's an absolute dude. Love the guy. Okay, this week we take on Geelong, Korea. Um, uh, I'll, I'll go back to it though. Not a great series against the Sydney Blue Sox. Um, not a great series against the Adelaide Giants. Not a great series about the Canberra Cavalry. You're confident we can turn things around. Um, so what's done this week? What's said by the coaches and managers? I mean, do you do anything differently though this week? No, I, I, from from day one, uh, Mincy, our head coach's expectation for all of us has just been has been just to do what we can do, um, do whatever we're capable of doing. Um, he, he's not expecting us to to do anything that we that we can't do. Just go out and do the little things and do do the things that we're able to um, execute. So um, that 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 was said um, today at practice. Um, so and I, I'm I'm sure a lot of guys were listening. Uh, yeah. So I I have a have a pretty good feeling about about this weekend down in Geelong. And um, if we can if we can get a series win, then we'll ride that off into Brisbane and fi- finish the, finish the season off strong. Mm. Have you ever seen as much rain as we get in Auckland, mate? <laughs> oh, what is the go here? Hey, every time I look outside, it's it's raining. Oh. I, I I've I've asked people like what what it's like. Like if, is it usually like this? And they said no, this is crazy. But God, every time we that we have, we have a home game, we we end up missing either a full series or a bunch of games mm. because it's raining. Mm. It's insane. Well, Jack Barry, all the very best this week. Um, hopefully, Tuatara can turn things around against uh, Geelong and then build on that momentum. Take on the Brisbane Bandits last home series, end up making the playoffs and go on and win the Claxton Shield. That's pretty much what you're telling me is going to happen, isn't it? Hundred <laughs> percent. There, there, there isn't. There is. There isn't a. Uh, ho- hopefully, we we are going to. Okay, so we are, we're 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 gonna have a good good series this weekend against Geelong, and then we're gonna take that into Brisbane, and then we're gonna take that into the finals. Because we 100%. want we want to retire your jersey at North Harbour Stadium. You want, we want you to become our favourite ever Australian. We want you back here next year. We want all of those things. We want all of those things, Jack. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, just we'll just just watch watch out watch out for this weekend. Um, yeah. All right. Well, Jack Barry, we'll let you go, but thank you for joining us on the program tonight. Greatly appreciated. Too easy, mate. Have a good one. Thank you, Jack Barry there. The big slugger, the big hitter, kangaroo Jack, they call him. Tuatara, outfielder. Somewhat quiet by his own high standards. You watch this guy in batting practice and it is just jaw-dropping. Just like a lot of the Tuatara players just struggling transfer that into game situations at the moment you know this team is good enough time is running out hopefully we can take on board what Jack Barry has just said turn it around against Geelong, take on Brisbane in the last series at home, make the playoffs and hey, join Brisbane and what I think will end up being the Adelaide Giants and probably the Perth Heat for the Claxton Shield, which is the trophy you win if you win the Australian Baseball League. It is 24 minutes after 6. Telephone numbers 0800 150 811.
You're listening to SENZ. It is 29 minutes after 6. You're listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you. Telephone numbers 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. The lines are open if you want to have your say. Uh, coming up after 7 o'clock, we'll get Garth Galloway on the programme. I don't want to so much preview tonight's first ODI between New Zealand and Pakistan. More interested just to get his overall thoughts on that Black Caps performance against Pakistan and the change in philosophy and attitude under the captaincy of Tim Salvey. I think we are buying a little bit into the Brendan McCullough mentality, into the baseball mentality of making Test cricket entertaining and trying and trying to get an outcome. Cricket is in a really interesting time. How do you capture cricket, the flavour and the popularity of the game in the 1980s particularly and the 1990s? Crowds in Australia seem to be diminishing across every form of the game. I think crowds here in New Zealand across all sport is diminishing. Does that necessarily mean TV ratings are diminishing? I'd have to do more research. But just so much cricket outside of the World Cups just seems irrelevant unless you're England and Australia and you get to play for the Ashes. And so test cricket, it's the purest form. It's how players and teams are measured individually and collectively. It now needs to try and capture some of the elements of T20 and one-day cricket that have made those two forms of the game popular. And hopefully we're starting to see it. And well done to the Black Caps on their two-test series in Pakistan. I think New Zealand were the better side. Even though we come away with two draws, I think the ICC do need to look at how wickets are prepared. And I think there needs to be some standards put in place so that test match wickets will provide an outcome. And I think New Zealand's guilty of it too. I think some of our wickets here are are too much of a, a batting paradise. Don't offer the bowlers enough, but not nearly as benign as perhaps what we've seen in some of the pitches, particularly in the first test against Pakistan. Graham, good evening. Welcome. Oh, good day, Mark. How are you? Good, thank you. Have we spoken in the new year? Yes, we have, about a week ago. Oh, we did. We did. We did indeed. Well, I think it was last Monday afternoon, actually. It was. <laughs> yeah, so um, I won't wish you Happy New Year again. No, no, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> happy New Year from the Crusaders to the Blues. Oh, absolutely, mate. Love you guys as much as you love us. <laughs> Yeah, it's mutual, isn't it? Yeah. No, about the cricket. Yeah, um, I know. I think that a lot, a lot of merit came out of the um, recent series. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I'd, I'd like the declaration. I think I heard Garth on with um, Dean Butler um, the other night, or it might have been the morning actually, but I heard the repeat of it at night. Um, but yeah, and he, he was saying, you know, the same thing. But you know, that's you know, early days in Saudi's captaincy. Um, 
Yeah, so I mean those things happen, you know, one of the players going for a double ton, but but I think it was, a lot of merit comes out of it. You know, it's a shame Matt Henry's injured because I'm um, obviously hopefully he's right for the um, English series because he was, you know, pl- played very well in that second test and. Yeah, the batting, a bit of pressure on Henry Nichols, I have to admit. You know, I've been a big fan of his, but, you know, Glenn Phillips is sort of breathing down his neck, so it's going to be an interesting one. Henry Nichols, for me, he's been a little bit of an enigma because he's clearly, I think, seven out of the test, eight test hundreds that he scored have been here in New Zealand. But he's not, he doesn't come across as just that X Factor player. Does he? He doesn't have a Conway look about him. He doesn't have a Kane Williamson look or even a Nathan Astle look about him. But he somehow seems to find a way of getting the job done. But, yeah, 50 or even odd... another, another one you could throw in from a bit further back, Andrew Jones. <laughs> he yeah. Was, um... Hey, well, he was a very unorthodox player. There's nothing classical about Andrew Jones, but he used to just, he was the, you know, the, the sort of archetypal battler, wasn't he, in the late 80s, very late 80s and 90, early 90s. But, yeah, um, but Jones used to do it against some pretty, yeah. So that New Zealand thing, that was always been Tom Latham's thing, though. He's very good, on, as we saw on the subcontinent. But, yeah, um Against the quicker bowlers, sometimes he yeah, but I think but I think there's few batsmen around the world that you can say genuinely are world class in yep. every form or or every type of condition. Um, you know, I mean, look at the Australians. Look at David Warner. Uh, the Australians yeah, are great yeah. bully boys at home, aren't they? But they don't often they transfer are. that overseas that well, do they? Um, and so, you know, we can we can pick on our players, and um, but yeah, I, th- I yeah, I, I I think that's probably uh, I think that's probably a bit of a general assessment of a lot of batsmen, isn't it? Oh, I think so, and I think that um, whilst cricket's always had that aspect that you know wickets. Um, you know, ours used to be very seam orientated in the Richard Hadley days and then into Bond later and um, other players we've had. But I think there's been a general, you know, they've become a bit more benign, you know, apart from Australian wickets probably, you know, they and, and English ones seem a lot too because they, you know, they do get a lot of rain in England, even though we do too. But I mean, um, yeah, I, I do think that, yeah, the wicket, Things have become a wee bit counterproductive to batsmen being being sort of um, what so not they're not men for all seasons now. Well, I mean, but you go back, look at it. You go back into the nineteen eighties. You look at Richard Hadley's bowling average. What's it's around about twenty one runs or twenty two runs, just under twenty two runs, I think, per wicket. And you go and look at say the Martin Crow averages, and they're sort of in their sort of low to mid forties. Now you look at most a lot of the. Today's batsmen are averaging well and truly into the 50s, and the bowlers, yeah, yeah. A, a good bowling is around 27, 28, 26, 27, 28. And I think those statistics show that oh, they conditions have become a lot more batter friendly. I think um, conditions have, I think the preparation of pitches is a lot more consistent and probably of a higher quality, but it is certainly favouring the batsmen these days. Oh, no, there's no doubt doubt about that I mean I have debates with a lot of people about that and because well, I always have been a big fan of Crow you know and I know Williamson surpassed him but I, I do know Martin Crow and John Wright and those guys oh. did face far more venomous attacks on far less conducive wickets to batting with, you know, with we, some we, the West with Indian some... bowling attack and Australians and all of them had you know they were killer bowlers and um, you don't get battery 
attacks like they have. Yeah, and, know, and, the relentless and, nature. And the other thing I think you've also got to realise, Test cricket too, you've got neutral umpires these days and you've also got, you know, you can also got the old TMO, haven't you? You can go upstairs and yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got all of that available to you. But I agree with you. As much as Kane Williams has got 25 test hundreds, Martin Crowe, to me, is still the best test batsman we've had. What did he have, 17? Yep. I think if he yeah, was playing yeah. in today's era, I don't think he'd have any problem scoring 25 or 30 test hundreds, to be perfectly oh, I honest. And I think and I think John Wright, Bruce Edgar, I think they would have scored a lot more test hundreds. I think Andrew Jones probably would have added a few more. His career, I mean, he was a late starter, Andrew Jones, but in the short career that he had, he was simply remarkable. Remember John Reid in the 1980s? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. And I think all of those guys, I mean, you can't tell me that guys like Henry Nichols with eight test hundreds and some of these other players, Tom Latham, are better players than the players that I've just mentioned. Oh, no, I don't think so. And I, I'm, you know, I've got great regard for Williams and, and even for Ross Taylor, but I do think that Crow, particularly, I've read people say, uh, you know, that I read one article, I won't name the writer, but he said, oh, you know, only only Martin Crow can even come close to being anywhere talked about in the same conversation as Kane Williamson. Yeah, I'm no. paraphrasing, and that's a pretty, that's a but that's a you know that's a, that's a very debatable subject, <laughs> given given what the way you know we're looking at it from a totally different perspective, and I don't think that's very fair to say that. What given what Crow played against. Yeah, no, um, I, look, I, I completely, completely 100% agree. Look, Graham, I've got to leave it there, but yep. thank you again. As yep. always, appreciate you phoning the programme. Look forward to chatting with you throughout 2023 here on SENZ. It is 21 and a half minutes away from 7 o'clock. It is 17 minutes away from 7 o'clock. Interesting conversation there with Graham out of Christchurch, but just talking about Martin Crow. Look, I do think Crow playing in today's era um, would have scored 30 test hundreds. I've got no doubt about it, I think. Wickets are a lot more conducive. I think neutral umpires have made a big difference. Um, I think coaching's probably evolved a little bit more. I know, and this surprised the Australians, I remember watching an interview with Wazzy Makram when he was part of the Australian cricket commentary team. And they asked Akram who was the best batsman he bowled against or who was the best batsman that he felt in test cricket and he said without doubt Martin Crow. I think it got up the Aussies a little bit probably expecting to name one of the great Australian players but he said Martin Crow. Crow was a freak it, it is very hard though to compare errors with errors You might have your say on that, 0800 I think Kane Williamson certainly in the discussion. I think it's also hard to sometimes give a player credit in the now. I think greatness or legacy is often only determined after a player's been out of the game for a decent period of time and then we look back with maybe um, a little bit more of a romance. I think what I also liked about Martin Crow. He played in an 80s team. They won a test series in Australia in 1985. They won a first ever test match in England. They broke some new ground. Scored some big hundreds. And as Graham said, I think against quality bowlers, when I think international cricket had greater depth at a test level because it wasn't, fractured by the professionalism of T20 
cricket and one-day cricket. And I think you've seen the damage that's happened to the West Indies because of it. Andrew Jones, one hell of a player. You know, we can sit there and talk about opening partnerships, but I think most people who watch cricket in the 1980s have watched cricket in the 1990s and 2000 every day of the week. If you had to pick an opening partnership pair, you'd go with Wright and Edgar. Edgar, just that slow, patient player, just see the new red ball off. Wright, score the big 100 at the top of the order. Edgar, sort of lay the platform for your first, second, third drop. Always an interesting discussion on greatness. One thing that does frustrate me, and I've got to say this, I read an article and I think young journalists and journalists throw the word around too much. And that is legend. I heard it, uh, um, a dis- someone describing Tim Southey because he had scored, taken 350 test wicket as a legend. Now he's not a legend. He's one hell of a cricketer. He's one of New Zealand's best ever bowlers. He's got a chance, if he sticks around, of maybe surpassing Richard Hadley's total test wickets of 431. But the word legend you associate with Shane Warne, you associate it with Sir Donald Bradman. You might put Garfield Sobers in there. You might put Tendulka and Ponting. But it's a word we use too loosely. Michael Jordan is a legend of basketball. Tiger Woods is a legend of golf. There are a few of them. What are some of the other words that might frustrate you? When it comes to evaluating sports people or the way words are thrown loosely around by sports commentators. Someone texts in here, what I pull your head in? All those Aussie boys rated Crow, Border, Warney, Wars, all said he was a gun. Even Chapel said Taylor and Kane are nothing on Crow. Well, I'm agreeing with you. I'm not sure what I've got to pull my head in. I agree. Martin Crow's the man. That's what I'm saying. I don't know why people are texting me saying that I'm not saying that. Crow is the best player, best batsman New Zealand's produced. And I'm going to put Glenn Turner behind him as our next best. Very few cricketers have scored 100 first-class hundreds. Glenn Turner was one of them. 0800 is the number. You're listening to SCNZ, Mark Watson with you, with you through to 10 o'clock, Garth Galloway on the programme after 7 o'clock, Trent Bolt won't be available for the two tests against England, we've got a one day international series studying against Pakistan tonight, we'll have ball by ball coverage of that for you from 10 o'clock. We'll also catch up with Lee Radovanovich, uh, Sky Sport tennis commentator, expert comments, wrap up day one of the ASB Men's Tennis Open at number one Tennis Lane or what used to be known as Stanley Street. 
Ben Francis is producing. Ben Francis loves his music. Ben Francis is deciding to put a theme on every particular radio show that he does produce. Tonight, it's music with harmonicas in it, Ben. So what have we had? We had Guns N' Roses' Bad Obsession. I honestly can't even remember. You can't remember. <laughs> have people texted in? Have we had anybody texting no, in? It was that time a, of the day. It's the first time we've gone a bit quiet with this since we've started it. Shall I take it personally? I I, I'm, I thought the harmonicas was a good one, but in saying that... It's a little though, harder, though, isn't it? It, it is harder. Because it's one of those instruments you don't necessarily notice until somebody points it out. Or if you hear a song without the harmonica, you go, that just doesn't sound right. Exactly. So I will admit it is a bit of a harder one today, but there are plenty of great topics to come. Bruce Springsteen's got some good harmonica songs. Yeah, there is a Bruce Springsteen one on there. Yeah. But I'm not going to reveal what it is. Okay, Bob Dylan's got some good harmonica. Uh, I think there is a Bob Dylan one on that list. We've got uh, Aerosmith. Oh, I love my Aerosmith, yep. So yeah, there's a Beatles song. There's Neil Young uh, so there, there are some Doobie Brothers. So there are some good ones on the list. But yeah, some harmonica. It's not an instrument I don't think is really used much in today's music. And saying that, I don't really listen to much modern music. Yeah, it seems to be one of those instruments. Ironically, isn't it that the vocalists tend to pick up and learn? It's not generally somebody who plays guitar, drums, or keyboards who decides to suddenly put that instrument down and start picking it up. You've almost got to be the lead singer, and it seems to be just. I don't know. What are they? Yeah, uh, there are a few songs. I think uh, Cold Chisel has its own like harmonica player, mm. and and it's really cool whenever he, he, he comes I've out. Got a, got a main mate of mine, um, Marcus Lawson, who's a very very good musician. Um, plays a lot with Dave Dobbin, and he does the harmonica on some of Dave Dobbin's albums oh. and songs. One hell of a musician, Marcus Lawson. Boy, he's good. He can play anything too. Um, Travelled the world with Dobbin at times and. Um, played with a lot of New Zealand's top musicians, was a member of a New Zealand group called Lucid 3 back in its day. Um, but I know that, yeah, I think he might even have his, I think he might even have, yeah, his name attached to those Dobbin little pieces of harmonica music that often um, are credited on particular albums. Anyway, songs with harmonicas in them. Text us, double eight double three. Bruce Springsteen, The River, music throughout 10 o'clock, songs with harmonicas in it. Know any? Text us, double eight double three. not that easy, we've identified that. Often, you don't often notice a harmonica in a particular song, or you've never really thought too much about it. It's only when perhaps the harmonica's missing that you realise this doesn't sound right. Or, now that we've perhaps piqued your interest, you suddenly realise just what a cool instrument the harmonica is and... Suddenly a number of songs, you think, yeah, that song's good because of the harmonica. Uh, anyway, we are talking sport between now and 10 o'clock. Garth Galloway, not too far away on the programme. Going to get his thoughts on that two-test series against Pakistan. I thought New Zealand played well. But we've got England coming up. And there are lots of concerns regarding our bowling attack and perhaps the depth of our batting lineup. I was just scouring the internet during the commercial breaks in the lead up to seven o'clock and my good mate, got a lot of time for him, he might polarise a lot of people but he's a good man, Chris Ratu from the New Zealand Herald does his weekly column and he does this winners-losers thing 
boy, he's sometimes just so articulate in the way he sums things up and the way maybe people are feeling or not feeling perhaps. And he's talking about the Trent Bolt business. Bolt's not going to be available for the England tour. And Chris goes on to say, confirmation that Trent Bolt won't be lining up when New Zealand takes on England next month is absolutely gutting. This has to be about the most stupid situation I've witnessed in decades of watching New Zealand sport. New Zealand hardly ever hosts a decent cricket test series. But when the action against the Brendan McCullum coached England begins in Mount Maunganui, one of our greatest fast bowlers will be just up the road watching it on TV. Or maybe he'll be at the ground licking an ice cream. The game has become so twisted by money and inept management that a key test cricketer will miss a mighty series because he's been playing T20 in the UAE, which ranks alongside endeavours like playing tiddlywinks in Timbuktu. I don't know who to blame, but maybe cricket needs some hard and fast rules and international windows so someone like Bolt isn't ruled out by such a ridiculous clash of schedules. The issue came up again at the end of a press conference in Pakistan, but Black Caps coach Gary Stead didn't go into the ins and outs. Stead cited workload as the reason, with Bold arriving back in New Zealand a couple of days before the first test. I, I agree with him. Um, this is the problem now with cricket. I mentioned it earlier. How do you capture the tribalism the energy, the emotion, the passion, the enthusiasm for the game in the 1980s. Only people that seem to be benefiting from cricket now are players. And the only market that seems to be big enough to enjoy these pop-up T20 competitions is probably India. Asia. Because I can't imagine anybody in England is watching some T20 tournament out of the UAE. I can't imagine anybody in England is really watching New Zealand or Australia watching a T20 tournament in the West Indies. The Indian Premier League, in my opinion, is nothing short of just basic money laundering. There is no way, knowing India, know the way things run over there, that's somehow legitimate. No one really cares, do they, about the England Premier League? Not at all. It only feeds the Indian market. And they have such control because they've got a billion people. But Chris Radu's right. What is cricket doing about this? The game needs its best players playing. Trent Bolt, he's made a decision, hasn't he? I want to take the money. But while he's playing, surely you can have some windows where you can go, Trent, there are so many opportunities outside of Test Cricket for you to make some money. Let's try and see if we can streamline all of this. Look at rugby in this country. Why is no one watching it anymore? Because our best players no longer play really in any form of the game other than at international level. When are administrators going to get it? We don't want to go and watch exhibition. We don't want to go and watch development teams. We want to watch the best. We've only got so much time. We've only got so much disposable income. might want to have your say. You can text us here on 8833. You can find the program on 0800 150811. Uh, ben, we've got some texts that have come in regarding the harmonica. The J, is it 
Gail's 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 band has their own harmonica band member. Magic Dick was his name. They had lots of hits in the seventies and eighties. Centrefold and Freeze Frame. Maybe we need to do a little bit of Google search on them, but I appreciate it. Um, great Aussie band called The Waifs for harmonica. Crazy Train or Lighthouse are two of their more well-known, but most of their music has harmonica in it. Fantastic text. Brilliant. Appreciate them. You're educating us. You're introducing us to some new bands, some new music. Love the harmonica. It's always the lead singer, though, that plays the harmonica. It's almost like as you get a little bit older, it's that instrument that you just want to master. I think it's a vocalist way of being able to go out on a tangent and being able to sort of jam with themselves. Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith. Case in point. Keep the text coming, double eight, double three. We'll take a break here on SCNZ. When we come back, Garth Galloway will talk all things cricket. A little bit of the Doobie Brothers, Long Train Running. That song there has the harmonica in it. That is the theme. Songs with harmonica in it right through to 10 o'clock. Text us here on 8833. Garth Galloway, cricket commentator extraordinaire, joins us on the programme. Garth, know any songs with a harmonica in them? Uh, anything by Neil Young for me, I think. Um, Harvest, is it? Got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Dylan. Young, uh, but not the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. It's subjective music. <laughs> uh, look, Garth, um, we, we've just seen two tests against Pakistan. I've got to say, um, I, yeah, I've got to eat a little bit of humble pie. I, I, I thought New Zealand did really well. I, I felt we were the better of the two sides. And we. what I liked was that we showed some intent. We were trying to get the result. Can we put this down to the change in captaincy? Uh, I, interesting. Um, I, I think that um, I agree with you that I think New Zealand was a better side, and uh, but I'm not sure about the intent necessarily. And I, you know, I, 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 I feel that you have to kind of weigh it, keep keep things in perspective. This, this is a very poor Pakistan side. Um, uh, I think the worst that I have seen in, in all the times that I've been involved in cricket in the first test. Uh, their four bowlers had 16 caps between them. Um, in the second, they brought back uh, a couple of slightly more experienced players. So, so for me, that's the starting point. Uh, the next thing is, um, I felt uh, that New Zealand lost a massive opportunity to win the first test when they went into slow mo uh, for Williamson's 200. And that, to me, you know, when when we were commentating, Mark, we said on air, I. I saw that Williamson was on about 180 and suddenly everything slowed down and you know, New Zealand were trying to set a total and I was saying they, they just can't be worried about Williamson's 200 surely they're not and everyone agreed Coney, McCarty, Petrie all said no they won't be but they were and they wasted uh, 9 or 10 precious overs scoring 12 runs to get Williamson there that to me showed a lack of awareness, a lack of real toughness um, I thought it possibly hinted at the dynamic of having a new captain with the old captain in the team and approaching 200. I look across the Tasman and see Australia's appearing with uh, Usman Khawaja on 195. Uh, and I compare also uh, England, you know, and I look about Stokes in the same position as 
um, as Salvias with a former captain in the team. If Root was on 180 at that stage and they were looking to step, they wouldn't have said to Joe Root, just take your time and get to 200. So for me, they, they missed an absolute, a huge opportunity there. And um, yeah, so, so, so yeah, um, so, yeah. Okay, but you've been you've been a bit tough here on Pakistan because England got away with three test series in Pakistan, but I think it was the second test there they described as arguably one of England's greatest ever test victories. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I just think Pakistan. Do you mean I'm I'm being tough in terms of how I see them and strength and so on? Well, yeah, I mean England, England. I I don't think rated them perhaps as poorly as you're perhaps rating them. Well, it, it just went. I guess I look at things and trying to keep them in perspective. And I don't want to be critical of the New Zealand side, but you asked me, you know, if I if, if I saw signs there that there was a change. And the example I referred to is Williamson, you know, mm. approaching that mm. 200, and I felt that New Zealand completely lost their way there. Mm. Um, you know, I also felt in the second test that there were moments we lost five overs on the fourth day through a slow overrate. When you look at what happened at the end of that game and how precious those five overs could have been, uh, you know, so I, I just thought we drifted from times. But I, but having said that, um, I thought Saudi led with the ball magnificently. I, I just thought he bowled incredibly well. I'm, I'm you know, I'm a, he's been a terrific servant to New Zealand cricket, and I do think he is the right person to be captain. Uh, and sometimes taking these things on, it's not easy over there. Um, but I thought he, he he bowled beautifully, particularly in the second test. And towards the end, what he needed was a, a spin bowler at the other end who was going to put six balls in the right place. And and again, I just felt that our spinners, who get so little test cricket in this New Zealand side, they were just short of a trot and they struggled for consistency. So, you know, I guess so, so, some good things to come out of the series. Uh, I thought Latham was just, you know, wonderful. Um, yeah, Blundell's keeping, I thought, has improved a lot. Uh, you know, I was critical of him in India last year. Uh, sorry, 2021. Uh, but I thought his keeping has improved markedly and his contribution with the bat was meaningful. Mm, OK, well, one thing we've both been critical of, and you've mentioned it there, is the lack of use of a quality spinner, particularly in New Zealand conditions. But when was the last time that we played three spinners a test in Patel, Bracewell and Sodi? I mean, surely that's got to be a step in the right direction. Is that is that a shift in New Zealand's thinking, or do you believe this is just a one-off based on the, uh, based on the conditions in Pakistan and the pitches being conducive to spin? Just a one-off. Uh and indeed, I wouldn't ever recommend playing three spinners in New Zealand. Uh, but a spinner would be would be would be good. Um, you know, they did the same against India in 2021, where they played Somerville, Ajaz Patel, and Ravindra. You know, a part timer. Um, and so, again, horses for courses. Playing in Pakistan, uh, they played three spinners as I would expect them to do. But they played three spinners who really, you know as we've talked about, Patel bowled two overs in Test cricket in 2022. Uh, Bracewell's bowled a few overs, Sodi none for four years. Uh, and I suppose people will rightly see him as having been the success of the team, having taken 13 wickets. But uh, the question for me is going to be when England come out here in February, not too far away, 
what will New Zealand do? Well, uh, they'll, 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 they'll play Michael Braceful, won't they? They'll play. Yeah, well, I think they will. And, 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 and that's, that's exactly the wrong direction to be going in, isn't it? Surely, either go with Patel or Sodi. Well, well, I thought they, they, they want the runs, you see, out of Bracewell. That's the point. And when you look at how England play, and I think it's been very interesting to watch England. And, and see, this is the point, Mark. England gave New Zealand the blueprint for how to win in, in Pakistan. Um, and it didn't involve mucking around, you know, letting people get to personal milestones. And when I say that, uh, I don't for a moment criticise Kane Williamson. Kane, you know, he's doing what the captain requires him to do, and that's fine. So I'm not suggesting for a moment that that was something that he wanted or desired. Uh, yeah, I think they will go for Bracewell. I think Bracewell has probably, though, in fairness, elevated himself up the ranks above Patel, uh, because Patel, and it was sad to see it, he lacked, he struggled for consistency, I thought. And of the three spinners, I would have put him after that series at the bottom in terms of performance, whereas going into it, I would have put him at the top. Sodi, um, well, he, he's played, obviously, a few games in New Zealand over the years. Uh, he benefited a lot in Pakistan because he was able to bowl into the rough, and I thought he exploited that very well. But as with many leg spinners, uh, he he was bowling one or two bad balls and over. So Mm. full tosses, half crackers and so on. He won't get the benefit of the rough here, Mark, in New Zealand. And that will be a a quandary for the New Zealand selectors because if he bowls one or two bad balls and over, if he played against England, they will slaughter him. Okay, let's look forward to the series against England. News coming out that Trent Bolt won't be available. He'll only just arrive back in the country after having played some ridiculous T20 tournament in the UAE where he's probably, and good luck to him and well done to him, banking a hell of a lot of money for doing so. Um, We've got a number of injuries. Uh, Matt Henry now suddenly out of this ODI against Pakistan. He's going to be replaced by Doug Bracewell. We've got Kyle Jamison out. Uh, Adam Milne with a side strain. Uh, ben C is unavailable with a back injury. Um, yeah, I mean, you've only got to maybe look to at the performance in Pakistan um, of Neil Wagner. He seems to have lost a yard of pace. It's not looking overly positive from a, a bowling point of view. I agree. Uh, I think our, our stocks are pretty thin. Um, Wagner bowled uh, probably on average about 126, 127 k's an hour. Uh, you just cannot afford to have a bowler bowling at that pace against this England side, in my view. And when you look at what they're going to bring to New Zealand, they'll bring Anderson, who'll bowl around 135. Broad will be similar, possibly a little bit less. Uh, but they move the ball around a lot, and then they will bring in Robinson, who will be up around 140 uh, and, and leak. So, and of course, then you've got Ben Stokes bowling as well. Uh, you know, that's a good attack. I, when I look at Wagner, I, I think his days are numbered. He, he's been an incredible servant of New Zealand cricket, uh, but you, you, you just can't have bowlers bowling at 125 as frontline fast bowlers. Salvi obviously will be there and will be a key part. Henry. I think they need him. Uh, they really do. If we look at Jameson, the concern about him will be that uh, he hasn't played any Plunkett Shield cricket this season. The, and the last Plunkett Shield game finished on the 17th of November. The next one starts when England are here. So if he's fit, and goodness, let's hope he is, uh, he will come into uh, that test team without having played any cricket, except for possibly some white ball mm. stuff. 
And my view, having watched Jameson a lot, is that he, he, like most bowlers, is a bowler who needs a lot of overs to get into rhythm and form. Uh, so it will be asking a lot of him to come in and to perform to the very high levels that we know he's capable of performing at. Henry Nichols, um, eight test hundreds, seven of them at home. He averages 47, almost 48 runs in test matches here. Do you keep him against England? No, no, I don't think so. Um, no, I don't think you do. Uh, he, his average over the last uh, 18 months or so has been 28. His average since he scored 100 against South Africa uh, after that innings and in the last uh, nine or so innings has been 10. Uh, so I think it's time for Nichols to stand down. I think they have to bring Phillips in. Phillips has only played one test. Uh, that was against Australia a few years ago where he got 52 and naught. But I think he's he's a player who uh, would add a lot to the dynamics. He, he's a busy, uh, chatty, uh, humorous sort of fellow, and he's one who lifts people. I think he, you know, he's, he, he could be a key ingredient, whether or not... And it'll be a true test for his technique playing against this English side. Um, I mean, the, the reality is, I think, Nichols should stand up. We'll, we'll, we'll stand down. Um, I think that Latham, you know, and, and then we look at Latham and Williamson, for example, Mark, and just looking at them, you know, for New Zealand to succeed in this series, and, and frankly, to come out with a drawn series would be a success. Uh, you know, Latham's played 11 matches against England and averages 31 with a career average of 42. Uh, Williamson's career average is a magnificent 54. Uh, he averages 37 against England. So, you know, I, I, what that tells me is that they're going to have to ask a lot of Latham, Williamson, uh, Conway, and uh, indeed in the middle order, Mitchell and Lundell. Conway, um, almost 32 years of age. You've got Latham at 31 years of age. You've got Kane Williamson at 32 years of age. Um, let's assume they've got a couple more years all left in them, possibly three. How does the future look beyond those three in terms of a New Zealand top order, say, from five years from now? Well, if you're looking at test cricket, um, I would... I mean, well, I think you'll get, you get a few more years out of Latham, hopefully a few out of Williamson. Uh, Conway, I mean, you know, top-class test batsmen can bat into their 30s, uh, well, you know, well into them. Uh, so they may well be around, I would think, for three, four, five years. Uh, but the question is who who is coming in underneath and how do we develop those players? And so, and you might have seen there was an article on stuff uh, yesterday where they published an under-30 New Zealand 11, and it didn't look particularly strong, perhaps not surprisingly. Uh, I think New Zealand, you know, one thing I, I do think they've been guilty of is is not uh, blooding players against the weaker Test nations. And, and my feeling is when Sri Lanka come out here, we, we have to look to get players on the field at the risk possibly of, of not playing as well, of, of not winning the Test necessarily. But but, you know, we have to get people playing test cricket and we have to recognise, I think, that there are significant changes. And I've talked for about 18 months, Mark, about you know, what I call a succession plan. And with every business, with every sports team, with, you know, all of these sorts of things, there has to be one. And that's what's not clear to me with this New Zealand cricket side is what is the succession plan? Um, you know, they are an ageing side and it's becoming very apparent. Okay, thoughts on Tom Blundell as a wicketkeeper? 
really good series over in Pakistan. I thought that he, you know, beautiful stumping to remove uh, Safaraz, who was really, an, I, I thought, one of Pakistan's best batsmen down the leg side. Lovely stumping off Mitchell's bowling. Uh, much better glove work against the spinners, although it didn't spin as much as it did in India. I think New Zealand will be well served by him. Mm. All right. Garth Galloway, look, lovely to have you on the programme. Appreciate your insight. Uh, well done on the commentary. Um, and look forward to catching up and talking cricket throughout 2023, my good man. Thanks, Mark, and Happy New Year to all of your uh, your wonderful listeners. And I'll tell no more Doobie Brothers. Oh, God, no, please don't. No, 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 no. I'll find some harmonica songs. I'll send them up. Please do. <laughs> oh, Ryan Adams. Go for, go for uh, Ryan Adams. Have a listen to him, not to be confused with Brian. Ryan Adams? Okay, we'll find some Ryan Adams. Garth Galloway on the programme talk, talking all things <laughs> cricket. 27 minutes after seven. You're listening to SENZ. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk some tennis. Lee Radovanovich will wrap day one of the men's ASB Tennis Classic. <laughs> Keep the text coming. Songs with a harmonica in them. That is the theme through to 10 o'clock tonight. Try and play them off the back of the brakes. Top of the hour. Text them through here on 8833. Let's talk some tennis. The ASB Classic underway on the men's side of it. Sky Sport commentator, one of New Zealand's best ever juniors, Lee Radovanovich, joins us on the programme. Evening to you, Lee. Welcome. Hey, Mark. How are you? Good. How was your first day in the commentary box? Do you enjoy the experience? No, it did. A little bit different from the radio days. Uh, timing's a little bit different, and you've got to sort of say more sometimes and say less sometimes compared to uh, the old radio commentary. But yeah, very enjoyable. Different, but great. Loved it. And what did you make of the standard of play on day one? I mean, it's always good. There's no bad players here, whether it be qualifying or the main draw. Everybody's good. Everybody's money. Everybody's a competitor. Um, as you know, that's one of the hardest sports in the world. There's only 100 jobs in tennis. Anybody outside the top 100 is losing money. So um, very, very good today. Well, let me just I'll pull that back a little bit. The first match um, with Constant Matissian and Pedro Cachin from Argentina, that had the potential to be quite a good match, but the Argentinian just didn't quite pick up his game and change his tactics when he needed to. Um, but Matissian was... Very, very impressive. Great defensive backhand on him, and technically he was really good. He'd obviously done his homework on his opponent and came in with a specific set of tactics to slow up and change up the pace of the ball, and that induced quite a lot of unforced errors off the forehand of the Argentinian, and that basically cost him the match. He outthought him, didn't outhit him. He outthought him. Quite cool to see. Very intelligent player. And you said Cashin failed to adapt, failed to change his game. So, what did he need to do in a situation like that, knowing that uh, Lestian had done his homework on him? Well, he was down the set in a break and he was being quite passive, as a just okay to sort of keep rallying from the back of the court and see what happens. He never really, at any point, apart from one or two points here and there, never got on the front foot, never really attacked and tried to change sort of the flow of the game. He was he was allowing his opponent to play him as opposed to him being the one that dominated at all. There were little spurts where he made a comeback and um, two or three points, he'd be aggressive, get forward and put some pressure on and then he'd revert back to being passive. And that sort of lack of, perhaps you call it killer instinct, that lack of being able to be aggressive consistently point up to point and take some risks cost him the match. 
Mm. We saw uh, uh, David Goffin of Belgium take on Alexander Bublik of, um, I think he is from Kazakhstan. Is he, is he Kazakhstan? Uh, Goffin winning that one, 6-3, Did that go to script? Not really, no. You'd expect Bublik to win that. Uh, big raps on him, and he's kind of, kind of known as an entertainer. Uh, it was a really sort of up and down, mentally an up and down performance from Bublik. He's six foot five and he consistently serves 220k an hour, which is so fast, which means just put yourself, you and your listeners, put yourself on the court. You're returning a 220k serve. If you, and you're a right-hander, if you lean towards your left thinking it's going to go to your backhand, but it goes to your forehand, you don't have time to adjust. It's coming at you that fast. But he didn't serve that well. He only sort of won about 53 to 64% of his first serve uh, when they went in, and that was really the difference. He had his serve broken six times, which is kind of crazy for a guy who can serve 220Ks an hour. Goffin, on the other hand, he's a veteran, one of five guys, four guys, to beat Nadal and Federer consecutively in the same event. That was in 2007, which is a pretty amazing feat. But I really enjoyed this, Mark, because it was kind of like the big guy against the little guy. Bublik, big serves big forehand, but very slow around the court. And Gaffin, he's smaller, skillful, worked the ball. He changed the pace and the height of the ball to really try to expose the weakness of Bublik, which is his movement out wide to his forehand and his backhand. So it was kind of a really smart, intelligent performance. Um, it was a really, really good one, actually. It was, it was fun to watch. Mm. Fun to call. And then this afternoon's game, we saw the number three seed knocked out, uh, Fabio Fognini, getting beaten by the American Jensen Brooksby. Uh, Fognini winning the first set 7-6, but then losing the next two sets 6-1-6-3. Yeah, Fognini, he's a bit of an enigma. Super talented guy. He's a stroke maker. He can hit any shot from anywhere. But he's also also a bit of a nutcase. Um, you know, he's he's known to tank from time to time, and he did that a little bit out there today. He'll give it 100% for four or five games, and then he'll have a crack at the referee, he'll have a crack at the linesman, he'll spray a couple of balls around. He's just sort of up and down like a yo-yo. Um, so that was a normal performance from him, amazing and then pathetic at the same time. Mm-hmm. Jensen Brooksby, on the other hand, first time I've seen him play, and he's it's hard to describe him as... Technically, he's not out of the textbook. He kind of wouldn't teach some of the things, some of the ways that he's hitting the ball, but he's very scrappy and a fighter and a bit awkward to play. When I was watching that, I thought, oh, this guy's tough. He's awkward. He's putting the ball in some awkward spots. He's just a bit, he's a niggly sort of player. And there was a bit of niggle between the two, actually. There was a little bit of chat going on back and forth, which was quite fun. Uh, But Brooksby was, he was tough. He was just grinding away. And I think he felt that, if he just kept the ball on the court, kept fighting, kept working, that Fognini would fold in the end, and that's what happened. Mm. Okay, on centre court at the moment, we've got the New Zealander Kiran Palpanu taking on the veteran Richard Gasquet. It has currently gone to serve. It's tied up at three games each. The young Kiwi, or the Kiwi who's ranked about 500 places below Gasquet, how does he play this one? I mean, it's tough. You know, like this is the biggest match of his career, and I've been there myself, it's really difficult to play on this court. Um, it's not a bad draw, to be honest with you, for Panu, because Gasquet, he's a household name and he's been around forever, uh, but he's 36 and he's not the player that he once was. He can't be at 36. He's not going to blow Pardo off the court, so 
I think early on in this one, it's given Tanu the chance just to get into the match because he's not pressured or doesn't have the lack of time and space because the ball's not coming to him that fast. With all Kiwis, Mark, as you know, you've been around the tournament heaps. It's mental. Can they adjust to the pressure? Can they get in there and compete? Can they forget that they're on the big home tournament, that this is the biggest match of the year for them? Can they get in there and fight? Yeah, fascinating. Well, fingers crossed. Wouldn't it be nice to start the new year with a sense of nationalism and give New Zealand tennis a point of view, maybe outside of doubles? So um, what can we look forward to tomorrow on day two of the tournament? So I think we can look forward to quite a bit of rain. <laughs> Big John Isner on court. We might have to go indoors. Yeah, he, he's on uh, first up on centre court. And remarkably, here's a stat for you. Over 13,000 aces on the ATP Tour in his career. Wow. That's amazing. And, and he's 37 now, so he's almost as old as you. And he's, he's still out there, still hitting big serves, still got the big forehand going. And we've got our uh, previous champion as well, Ugo Humbia. He's playing Christopher Eubanks of the United States. Six Americans in the tournament, six young Americans, and they're all really, really good. Six French players as well. So big day tomorrow. I wouldn't say there's a sort of a, a huge feature that'll come on Wednesday when all the big guns come out to play. But mm. um, weather not looking great tomorrow. And so, what does that mean? We go indoors. Does that uh, the indoor setup? Does that mean any spectators? What does that mean from a television coverage point of view? Um, not ideal. You know, there's sort of three courts back there in that dome, and I, I've got it set up now because they had to for last week for the women's because it was you know raining so much. It's difficult. I think they've got one camera back there. No spectators allowed. So if it does get rained out tomorrow. I, I couldn't tell you what the cutoff might be that when they decide to go indoors, they may well leave it until Wednesday um, and sort of pack some of the outdoor courts. But if they do go inside, it's not ideal. It's not a great spectacle for uh, spectators. The players don't love it. They want to be out there. They want to be playing in front of the fans because it's a really nice atmosphere here at ASB Stadium. I, I, I know you've been there a million times. It's a fun atmosphere. Players mm. like playing out there. They don't want to be back in the indoor courts. Mm. Uh, Lee, I just noticed on social media too that you uh, were very lucky to interview world number two, Casper Rude. You also, what, I think had a little bit of a hit. Did you did you beat him in straight sets? Well, he just asked me to tune him up a little bit. I tune know? him up, okay, you tune him up, yep, yep, no, all good. Yep. Uh, Jesse Ryder asked me yeah. once to tune him up too in a boxing ring, yeah. <laughs> no, he just came up to me and said, oh, like I heard you can hit a couple of balls, can you just tighten my game up a little bit because I want to win the league. No, no, I was doing a, a, a Yonix uh, promotional day for uh, playersports.co.nz. And, you know, he was a really, really lovely guy. He's number three in the world. He lost in the final of the French Open last year. He lost in the final of the US Open. And we were there with 20 kids and maybe 20 adults, and he was hitting balls with everybody, signing autographs, um, signing hats and things. And actually had a hit with my, my six-year-old, which was very nice of him. And then... Um, I got the call up to hit with him for about, I don't know, seven or eight minutes. And um, we were just sort of stroking the ball back and forth for about five minutes, looking good. And then he started to pick up the pace and test me a little bit. And that's why I started to, to sweat bullets a little bit. But <laughs> interestingly, and I was, trying, I was trying to make sure that people didn't realise I was sweating so much and like out of, out of breath, you know how it is. Yeah. Um, interestingly, he said to me he's had 70 clay court wins and he doesn't love being called a clay court specialist. He thinks he's more of an all-court player. Yeah. He's won nine titles on clay. 
he's made the final of the US Open, so yes, he can play on hard courts. So it came across to me that he was really keen to win this tournament and win the Australian Open. He said to me that he's, even though he's number three in the world, he's dying to be number one in the world, which is cool. You know, he's already number three, but he's desperate mm. to get to number one. But what a great experience for you, mate, to come back and be able to hit with the world number three player. I mean, you probably wouldn't have thought about that six, seven months ago. No, I'm usually on the golf course. I don't really, don't even really hit tennis balls anymore, so I was a bit rusty. To be honest with you, between you and I, I was a little bit nervous. Oh, you're allowed to be. Hey, look, I was up running right in the forest opposite the um, golf course at Muraway, mate. Came across a couple of golf balls with your name on it, and I thought, oh, yeah, that'll be Radovanovich. That would have been the famous shank. <laughs> I know, I just hit him out in the middle. I play old man golf, mate. See you always in green. There you go. Elite Radovanovich, lovely to have you on the programme, mate. Thank you for the update, and all the best tomorrow with your call. There you go. 17 minutes away from eight. Updating the men's tennis, the ASB Classic. Lee Radovanovic. It is 17 minutes away from eight. Possibly one of the most famous songs of all time with the harmonica, Piano Man, Billy Joel. Nice music choice, Ben Francis. Feel free to text us here on 8833. Number of texts that have come in, just regarding our cricket discussion earlier. Hello, Daryl here. The New Zealand cricket team of the 1980s were amazing. They were a great side with a good mix of interesting players. Bruce Edgar, John Wright, Martin and Jeff Crow, Jeremy Coney, Ian Smith, Sir Richard Hadley, Ewan Chatfield, Lance Keynes, Jeff Howarth, Martin Stedden. Mm. And, and they had some great times against the West Indies in the early 80s. That 1980s team were and still are up there, in my opinion. Completely agree. Put that side in today's professional environment where you can basically be a full-time cricketer, earn a living doing it, on today's wickets, neutral umpires, and I think their batting averages would have increased, but I think their bowling averages probably wouldn't have been as good. Another text, I think cricket, like most other sports, has changed because of the chase for the dollars. Look at Team New Zealand in the America's Cup. That has gone crazy due to money. And someone also just wanted to know what has happened to Jamison and Ferguson, all injured at the moment. Cole Jamison due to come back, Lockie Ferguson, well he's more of a one day player for New Zealand, isn't he? But Cole Jamison, I think, is about to come back and play for Auckland shortly. Will he have enough time to get himself ready for the England tour? Big question mark over him, but a lot of injuries at the moment to our fast bowling stocks. It'll be a fascinating two tests against England. Don't forget tonight that we've got live coverage, ball-by-ball coverage of the first one-day international between the Black Caps and Pakistan live here from 10 o'clock. We've got some audio now from the one-day captain, Kane Williamson. Yeah, uh, Pakistan are a very strong side and um, naturally know these these conditions very well as well. So, um, you know, for us as a team, it's, it's focusing on the cricket that we want to play and, and try and put out... Uh, improved performances. We we saw some um, some glimpses back home in our last series, although it was heavily affected by rain. So um, I'm sure that won't be the the issue here, and and we'll have good weather, and um, and it's a really good opportunity as a side as well to adjust to some different conditions. I can uh, one day cricket develop, and of course, very faster in the last few years, 350, 400 plus runs, and of course, the new approach. So. You have a look at the page. You think that this series uh, can prove to be another high scoring and of course the New Zealand pattern of play we've seen in the first match of the World T20, the attacking approach. So uh, the same approach will continue or you think that it is like this in some continent, Pakistan, you sometimes have to adjust with the conditions or you go with the same approach. Thank you. 
Um, yeah, I mean, in the, the formats, obviously, there's, there's a different a approach, but um, we'll have to assess the conditions that are in front of us. It's, it's um, yeah, all of our players' first time um, playing ODI cricket here, so um, we'll have to assess and uh, commit to you know, our plans, our, our brand of cricket that's important to us as a team. But, um, yeah, we know the, that it's, it's a tough challenge against a very strong Pakistan side, so um, looking forward to, to the series. Yeah, right here. Yeah, can uh, I ask the same question before Baba Razam? I'm going to ask to you. Uh, the series is uh, part of the World Cup ICC, um, you know. The, uh, what do you think about this uh, series? And uh, because you are in the top and you're getting a first position and Pakistan is in the sixth place, so how do you compare both teams? And how do you say the conditions of the men? Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah both strong teams, um, well-balanced squads. Um, yeah, in, in terms of rankings, it, it's always difficult to look too much into them. You know, you play against all different opposition at, at different times and different conditions. So, um, you know, we, we just try and focus on, on the cricket that is in front of us and, and the direction we're, we're trying to head as a team. And, um, you know, we know we've got a, a, a really good challenge here in, in Pakistan, so it's a good opportunity for us as a side to to show some improvement uh, and, and keep getting more familiar with, with how we want to be playing our ODI cricket as well. Uh, Williamson, uh, uh, New Zealand had beaten Pakistan uh, in uh, one of uh, uh, match series in 1976-77 and since then New Zealand never won a series against Pakistan in Pakistan. Uh, so what do you think uh, uh, you will want to make uh, the record uh, in favor of New Zealand by winning this series? And the second question is that uh, what about Matt Henry? Any re replacement will be there? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously a, a tough place to play. We've played um, Pakistan on, on a number of occasions in the UAE and, and same again, a, a really tough challenge. So. Um, we know that that will be in front of us um, and we want to focus on the cricket that we want to play and, and try and build throughout the series. And um, in terms of Matt Henry, um, unsure as yet of his replacement. All right, guys, last two on this uh, side. Uh, how, how helpful is Spinner this one day, uh, your and Pakistan Spinner? Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I think in all formats they're, they're valuable and they always come into the game. Um, in terms of the conditions, we're, we're not sure just yet uh, in terms of how much impact either they'll have as an aggressive option or a defensive option. Um, we'll have to wait and see and, and very much play what's in front of us. But um, in most parts of the world, there's, there's certainly a, a role for the slower bowlers to play. Absolutely. And the back, last one. Yep. Hey, Kev, uh, you did uh, last uh, couple of years ago, two years ago, almost uh, June 2019, you make a century last time. Uh, do you think that uh, it will be your series that uh, you will century again in, in National Stadium, Karachi? Um, I mean, uh, as a batter, you're always focused on one ball at a time and, and what your job is for the team, and, and it's very much geared to trying to do your job as well as you can and in and, and the role that you have. So I think all batters will be wanting to make you know as valuable contributions as they can to try and move the team forward, and, and that's very much the focus. There you go, Kane Williamson. So, Bill Wobber coverage here from 10 o'clock tonight on SENZ. Now, coming up after 8 o'clock, we will talk football. Andy Buckley out of the UK, Manchester City football commentator. Some interesting results overnight and over the weekend in 
the third round of the FA Cup. Aston Villa getting knocked out. Newcastle getting beaten. Manchester City getting beaten or beating Chelsea 4-0. Graham Potter, former Brighton manager, gives up his role at Brighton to take on Chelsea. Now finds himself under pressure to keep his job. Moral of the story is be careful what you wish for. Liverpool Wolves played out a two-all draw. A lot of discussion from Jurgen Klopp about having to have replays. I agree with them. I think the season's already too long. Too many games. No room for replays in the FA Cup. If it's a draw, go to extra time. If it's still a draw at extra time, sort it out on penalties. Got to think of player welfare. You can't just throw football at people. You've got to have quality, not quantity. It's something rugby needs to learn in this country, or those that broadcast it. Uh, we'll also talk some basketball too. Justin Nelson on the programme. Just get a bit of a uh, an overview, really, of the Australian Basketball League, the Breakers. A lot of people have been away. Breakers seem to have sort of got out of their slump, seem to be back to their best. What does he make of it all? We'll do that around about 8.30 tonight. Gotta love Stephen Tyler, Aerosmith, the harmonica. That is the music theme tonight. Songs with the harmonica in it. Text us here on 8833. Gotta say, I discovered the entire Aerosmith back catalogue. While living in Japan, Kanagawa Prefecture, back in 1989, 1990 and 91. Probably more 1990, to be honest. Lived in this tiny little apartment with some mates. Taught English. Starting to get into triathlon. Was a bit late in my music development. Guns N' Roses was my sort of first big band. And then I did that sort of, I guess, traditional rock apprenticeship of The Doors, Led Zeppelin. Little bit of sort of Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne. Did Van Halen and a lot of Aerosmith. And still to this day, I find myself playing the Rocks album from 1977, I think it is, one of the great albums. Toys in the Attic. I've got to say, I probably prefer the older Aerosmith than the sort of the nouveau Aerosmith when they sort of started to re become popular again, sort of almost in the 1990s. Had a little bit of a hiatus there in the 1980s as such. Anyway, you might have some thoughts on songs with the harmonica. Double eight, double three is the number. Uh, very shortly on the programme, we'll catch up with Angley Buckley out of the UK, talk the latest round of football in the UK. It's been the third round of the FA Cup. Some big upsets in that. Justin Nelson will join us to talk some basketball. Just to get a bit of an update on the ABL. Breakers, back in winning form. Good victory against Adelaide. Howard Dobson after nine. A lot of people, older people, might remember Dobbo's Plays of the Week on TV3 back in the day. Always good for an opinion, Howard. He writes some very good stuff on social media and gets a high level of engagement. Don't always agree with some of what he writes, but that's what it's all about. You want engagement. You want to be challenged mentally. Just don't let people live rent-free inside your head. Ben Francis is producing tonight. Ben, um... Good music choices. Would I be fair to say that perhaps 
Billy Joel's Piano Man might be the most famous song with a harmonica in it? Or, or should we be thinking Neil Young? Um, Heart of Gold. Yeah. I think you probably could toss it up probably between those two, to be honest. It's, when you think of harmonica songs, those are the... Well, why don't a little bit later, we'll line both of them up and we'll play the first, say, 30 seconds or a minute of each and then we might get people to text in or we can have a further discussion on it. We well, um, most certainly Bob do Dylan, too's got some... I think I would have to lean more towards Piano Man, though. I think. Yeah, me too. I, th- I think it's probably a bigger song, isn't it, internationally, Piano Man? I'd have to look at the exact numbers. but No, but I think just perception-wise... Yeah, I would probably, I'd probably probably cover a lot more genre and a bit more mainstream than perhaps Heart of Gold. Yeah, probably. Mm, Heart of Gold, a little bit more niche, isn't it? Mm. We got we got some very, very some very sorry. My partner, so just very off topic. My partner, who I've never heard her talk about rugby in my life, messaged me before and said, "Oh, what do you think of that dirty Aaron Cruden player? That red card, eh? About time." And I'm thinking, what on earth is she talking about? And he got red carded playing in Japan today, and I have I feel like she's you know having a laugh with me right now. It's just her messaging me about trying to have an intellectual conversation about rugby. It's quite hilarious. Yeah, Aaron Cruden, yeah, I saw that too. It sounded like a pretty scrappy game. Boy, it's amazing how many players are playing in Japan from right around the world at the moment. Man, quite, and quite unbelievable. In, quite interesting. Uh, I see from a very reliable source in Australia that this whole coaching merry-go-round that we're anticipating. Uh, it sounds like another kind of wheel is making its move off the, the cart and Dave Rennie's been linked to a move to Japan post-World Cup to work alongside Wayne Smith uh, to the club where I think Artie Savia and I think Brody Retallick oh, is going to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I, I think Dave Rennie's biggest problem is that it's consistency in selection and that's probably what's frustrated the Australians a lot that he chops and changes his team. He hasn't necessarily got an established first five eight he hasn't necessarily got his midfield combination sorted out but I think what he's actually trying to do is create some depth in Australian rugby he's actually trying yeah, to build is. a broader wider squad having people competing for places having backup and I don't think it's so much around just trying to win the World Cup I think it's actually just for the greater good of Australian rugby and actually just trying to dig them out of what has been a hole now for about a decade because um, I'm not a believer, as you know, Ben, that you everything's geared up once every four years for a World Cup and it's okay to lose in the name of trying to win the World Cup. And that's what frustrates me with the all-black coaching setup. And I think it's a bit of a get-out-of-jail um, excuse. Ian Foster's allowed to lose. Judge me on the World Cup. Don't like that. And so Dave Rennie, whether he's successful or not this year, I just wonder whether in three or four years' time Australian rugby will reap the benefit of what he's actually tried to do. Well, you'd hope so because it sounds like he, he has put a lot of work in there and he was, he's very determined. And, and the thing is, you look at the, the history of, of like a Rennie and a Foster, Rennie's success, successful CV is probably far superior than Foster's in an overall coaching perspective and you feel like if you put Rennie in charge of the All Blacks mm. and you put Foster in charge of Australia 
Well, that's it. Would be better. Uh, it doesn't matter how good a coach you are, you've still got to have talent. Hmm. You've still got, you know, I mean, you can be the best coach in the world, but you can't turn a donkey into a thoroughbred. Exactly. You know what I mean? You've still got to have an exceptional talent. And I feel like if Rennie was, in, if, if he was coaching the All Blacks, he'd probably be in a much better position now compared to where it was Foster with them. And I feel like if Foster was in charge of Australia, they probably wouldn't be in that position. I know Rennie hasn't had the success, but as you said, they've kind of got the, the, the cattle to, to really excel. Mm. Yeah, the merry-go-round. Mind you, I think that's probably enough rugby for the what next three months, Ben, before rugby kicks off and <laughs> we drown in it. And it never stops. No one ever seems to actually realise that perhaps there's not quite the interest there once was, but we still shove it down everybody's throat. Anyway, eight minutes after eight, we're going to take a break here on SCNZ. When we come back, we head to the UK. We'll talk some football with UK correspondent Andy Buckley. Keep your texts coming on double eight double three songs with the harmonica in them with you through to 10 o'clock tonight before we bring you live ball-by-ball coverage of the first one-day international between the Black Caps and Pakistan. But we're going to talk some football now. Regular UK correspondent, Manchester City man, is about to join us on the programme. Andy Buckley, good evening, welcome. Good evening. God, it hurts me to say that, Manchester City man. <laughs> what? Well, you've got your team, I've got mine. Absolutely, and your team is on fire at the moment, doing a demolition of Chelsea in the FA Cup, and Graham Potter, former Brighton manager, new coach at Chelsea, what, under a little bit of pressure now? Yeah, a big uh, talking point really as to whether Chelsea should uh, stick with him. Apparently the Chelsea fans near the end of the game were singing for Thomas Tuchel and Abramovich, uh, which seems a bit uh, foolish. Uh, and ridiculous, but uh, in terms certainly in terms of Abramovich, but um, uh, I'd stick with Potter. Uh, maybe I'm slightly influenced because I quite like the guy. I think he's very uh, approachable and uh, he's got a nice manner about him. Uh, and the, the, I suppose the most common accusation is the fact that Brighton's okay, but Chelsea's beyond him. Uh, but I just think, and uh, Guardiola actually, Pep Guardiola after the game made a a plea for uh, a bit of calm in terms of Chelsea and saying, look, just stick with the guy, uh, give him uh, time, give him uh, the breathing space. Because the games are coming thick and fast. He didn't have the six weeks before the World Cup, uh, before the Christmas because of the World Cup. So it's been a very uh, stop-start season. And uh, I I, I think they've they've got to bear with him. I mean, Nottingham Forest has started to pick up because they showed some patience in their manager. Uh, and I think Chelsea, all right, bigger fish than Forest, but they've got to show a little bit of uh, sense, really. A club notorious, of course, for sacking managers, as you know, like I do. But uh, Yeah, I was going to say, they're well, a club that are very reactionary, aren't they? They're a very impatient club. They, you know, only one team's, only one team's going to win the English Premier League and finishing second doesn't, or finishing second, third, doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad manager or a bad team. No, and, but they've got a new owner now, so maybe there'll be a new way of thinking. Um, finalists in the FA Cup last three years, City semi-finalists the last three years, uh, but Chelsea's his run is over. I think it was the first time in 25 years that Chelsea went out of the FA Cup at the third round stage. So, uh, uh, yeah, difficult times for, for Graham Potter. Had the injuries, uh, didn't look like scoring, to be honest with you, uh, apart from late in the game when they had a little bit of a flurry. But... Uh, 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 and the, the thing is, for every club, that the games are coming thick and fast now. So uh, there's no let-up. I think they've got Fulham next in the league, and uh, Fulham are on fire mm. at the moment. Mm. So uh, 
uh, you know, that's the way it goes. The biggest upset in the third round of the FA Cup, was it Stevenage beating Aston Villa at Villa Park? Yeah, it certainly was, yeah. Uh, and um, fair play to Stevenage. Two late goals as well. Uh, ridiculous goalkeeping error, I thought, for the, the winner. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a tricky one, the FA Cup, because um, maybe I, I live in the past, but I, you know, and you think of historic cup shocks and they're not quite the, on the same scale these days, I don't think, because I just don't think the cup quite has that kind of allure, the magic. Uh, a team that does well in it will think differently uh, and fair play to them. Uh, and maybe the modern generation will think, well, we've not known it any other, any other way. And uh, if you're a young Stevenage fan, you'll think, yeah, fantastic, even if you're an old Stevenage fan. But uh, I, I just think it's uh, been devalued a bit, really, by the amount of football that there is. Mm. And it just hasn't got that kind of uh, romance that it used to have. The other high-flying side knocked out by Sheffield Wednesday. Newcastle United getting beaten by two goals to one. I'd imagine they're not overly disappointed by this. They've, they potentially they potentially could actually end up winning the English Premier League, and this is one less distraction. Yeah, I, I disagree, to be honest with you. I just think that the FA Cup, there's no replays, I don't think, after the fourth round anyway. Um, so and the, the, the rounds are only over three weeks. I'd take your point about Newcastle at the league, but let's face it. Um, Newcastle, in terms of uh, any silverware, it's an awful long time since they enjoyed any success. So, and they get beaten in the third. I think Cambridge knocked them out last year in the third round at home at St James's Park. So, if I be a Newcastle fan, I'd be bitterly, bitterly disappointed because they could have gone deep mm. in the competition. Mm. Um, and there was uh, also some complaints to the FA about alleged crushing at the Leppings Lane end at Hillsborough on Saturday. Uh, of course, the, the end notorious for where all those uh, tragic deaths occurred at Hillsborough. Uh, what was it, in 1988, was it, when Liverpool played Nottingham Forest? So, yeah, 1989, uh, I think, yeah. Yeah, 89, sorry, yeah. Um, so uh, uh, there were sort of uh, echoes of the past, really, with Liverpool uh, Newcastle fans saying about uh, problems in terms of crowd congestion at that end of the ground. But mm. uh, no doubt it'll get looked into by the FA because, of mm. course, they're all over everything. Not. It, it, you mentioned no replays after the fourth round. Liverpool played out a two draw with Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wolves probably are a little unlucky not to win this game. Jurgen Klopp does not want replays. He says the season's already too long. He says there are already too many games. Stop throwing football at people. Have quality, not quantity. Is that view shared by most of the uh, big managers or the big clubs? Well, yeah. It's not like Jurgen Klopp's a moan, is it? He's, um, well, no, more than Pep Guardiola. But... I know, but Guardiola just accepts that that's the English <laughs> football. You don't like it. If Jurgen Klopp doesn't like it, go and manage in Germany. Or, or, or anywhere, but that, that's the nature of our game. And this is the deal that we've been dealt this season with the World Cup that's exacerbated it. Um, and that's the rules. You've got to play to the rules. Uh, and fair play. I mean, I think, to be honest with you, you mentioned City, touched on City at the top. And I think that the fixture list will catch up with them. And they can't keep going and winning games. It was great to beat Chelsea twice in the space of 72 hours. But... The fixture list will catch up with them, and I think it'll catch up with everybody. Mm. And it could be a question. Of, I know. I know this is stating the obvious, but it could be a question of how few games, how many, how least number of points you drop. 
determines how well you do. Mm. And and in fairness to Guardiola, he puts out a strong team, whether he's playing Burton Albion in the FA Cup or whether he's playing Chelsea. Um, and you, you could turn around quite rightly and say, well, he's got the strength in depth. He's got all the talent on the bench uh, to be able to do that. But haven't Liverpool, haven't Chelsea? Uh, you know, it, it, the fact that City have got a squad that goes deep and, 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 and is good enough to bring on players. There was a lot of anger among the City fans at the Chelsea game at Stamford Bridge because the commentator on ITV said, oh, um, City have just brought on, you know, £150 million worth of talent that's produced a winning goal, i.e. Grealish £100 million provides the cross and Mahrez at £50 million scores the winning goal. Uh, he omitted to mention that they'd also brought on a Kanji who cost £15 million, and Rico Lewis, who's a product of the academy system at the start of the second half. So, you know, you bring players through from your academy. Some will work, some won't work. So I, I can understand the fact that the replay... And that's another reason, isn't it, that um, the FA Cup has lost a little bit of its uh, glamour because of the... You know, I, I remember, was it uh, Newcastle played somebody? I got reminded of it at the weekend. Was it maybe Newcastle and Sheffield Wednesday played five replays once? to settle a, um, an FA Cup tie. And, and that in the, the kind of two generations ago, I suppose, now. Uh, and that is not going to happen anymore. But um, th- that was the kind of the attraction of the Cup, and you, you, you know, that enduring magic. Now, it's, it's a kind of a quick um, fix of 90 minutes, maybe not even extra time, penalties, get it over and done with beyond the fourth round. I'm not sure whether there is extra time. Mm to be honest with you. But you, you, you've just got to live with it. You've just got to cope with it. And some might say, well, Liverpool, the FA Cup is Liverpool's best chance of silverware apart from the Champions League. So why whinge? Oxford United take on Arsenal tomorrow in the third round. The winner <coughs> of that game will end up playing Manchester City. Boy, it's a tough draw for Manchester City. You get Chelsea and potentially Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, you do. But um, you've got to beat them sometime. Uh, City are at home, I suppose. That's the main thing. But, I mean, it's City's week. You know, Southampton on... Uh, on Wednesday in the quarterfinals, uh, and then Manchester United at half past twelve on Saturday at Old Trafford. Now, if, if Jurgen Klopp would be complaining about that, he wouldn't be happy about a Wednesday night and then a Saturday lunchtime kickoff. But I don't think Guardiola will complain. So it's United on uh, a rejuvenated Manchester United on Saturday, and then it's Tottenham a week on Thursday, your early Friday morning. Um, so. Uh, and, you know, City could come unstuck against Tottenham, just referring to what I mentioned earlier. Well, one issue that, that did uh, surface uh, when I was sort of trolling the internet overnight was uh, flying to football games as well, because Nottingham Forest flew to Blackpool on uh, Saturday for the FA Cup, 39-minute flight. And they had two coaches. He was talking about uh, the sponsored by E.ON, and bearing in mind we're all climate aware, uh, they had two coaches that drove to Blackpool Airport to pick the players up to make a seven-minute journey to Bloomfield Road. Mm. What, what's the, the what's what's the what's the tower. what's the drive time versus the thirty-nine-minute flight? Well, Nottingham to Blackpool, uh, Nottingham to Manchester's an hour and a half uh, across the Peak District, and then it's another fifty minutes, so it's two and a half hours really. And if you did the motorway route, it might be more three hours plus. In fairness to Forest, they'd been at Southampton the Wednesday before. Uh, uh, didn't do much good, did it? Because they got stuffed at Blackpool in the cup. But uh, so they flew. 
But, uh, I mean, City will fly to Southampton on Wednesday. Is there a genuine... But is there a genuine backlash from the public regarding teams travelling on plane versus bus because of global warming? Or is this just the left, the woke media trying to turn nothing into something? Yeah, no, I think your second point's right. I I think the point they're making is, why take two coaches, which is obviously just to to take the, Mm. the kit, uh, and uh, t- why take two coaches and fly? Um, but uh, teams do fly. A lot of the reaction was quite rightly as well. It just said, "Well, get used to it," because teams do fly to football matches. Mm. Arsenal famously mm. flew to Norwich a mm. uh, couple of seasons ago. It's a thirteen-minute flight mm. from Stansted um, to, to Norwich Airport. Um, and I remember flying to Norwich actually about nearly 30 years ago now to cover a Manchester City game for the radio and I took off from Manchester Airport bear in mind it was on air at one o'clock and I took off from Manchester Airport at half past 11 I flew with the chairman Francis Lee remember Francis Lee Manchester City chairman I flew with the chairman and the directors and uh, it was from Manchester Airport to Norwich and Norwich is a cross-country trek it's a good six seven hours it's one of the most inaccessible grounds in the country beautiful place norwich beautiful place but um hard to reach and left manchester airport just before midday he was on air at carrow road uh, at one o'clock the flight was half an hour quick uh, bus transfer to carrow road and i was sat at carrow road at like quarter to one ten to one ready to, mm. to go on air but it's it, you know you want it's like as a broadcaster you're sort of a long long way from where you're supposed to be uh broadcasting from and you're only kind of 90 minutes before you go on air you, you're getting a little bit uh very edgy to be honest with you but fortunately the winds eased and the flight took off but uh, yeah flying's quite commonplace i regularly come up against that with auckland traffic these days now um I just just andy 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 look i've been sensing just a little bit of animosity towards Jurgen klopp here a little bit of anti-sentiment towards liverpool football club i think we just need a little bit of a singer song andy i think we just need to all relax and come together and have a little bit of a sing-along do you, do you want to join me in this uh, no you sure you're a really good singer andy i remember you on those uh, rooftops in alabama you sang well my good man <laughs> you want to just I'll swear this one <laughs> um, alright okay so uh, look I guess good news and, I, and I'm a big Nottingham Forest fan you mentioned it earlier starting to find their mojo starting to play their way out of relegation is that the general consensus do people feel that the English Premier League is a better competition when you've got those great traditional clubs involved um, yeah I think Nottingham Forest have got their uh, place in the the, the 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 elite, the top echelon of English football. Um, but then again, supporters of Sheffield Wednesday might say the same as well. Uh, Sunderland might argue the same cause. So, but it's up to get them, them to get their act right. And I suppose money mm. talks more than it did mm. back in the day when the likes of Sunderland and Forest were, um, you know, uh, flying high with. Were, were among the big boys, were the European champions in Forest's case. Uh, but yeah, it's good to see them up there. I think Southampton are looking as though they're going to uh, slip out of the top flight um, and the risk always, is always that you might not get back. That's one of the, the dangers. But uh, yeah, it's going to be an intriguing relegation battle, especially mm. with Everton dragged uh, deep into the mire as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Frank Lampart, uh, if he loses or draws with Southampton on the weekend, is he gone? Uh, well... Uh, <laughs> The problem is Everton run much deeper than the manager, really. 
Um, that's the problem. And you can sack Frank Lampard and say, well, let's get somebody else in. And uh, Silva, the manager of Fulham, who's doing great at Fulham, went to Everton and, and fell by the wayside, as did so many others. So um, it's the ownership. They've got the new stadium coming up as well. The last thing they want is to be going into a new stadium, not playing in the top division. Uh, but I think there's a good chance that the, the, the clamour for for managerial sackings is so much that these days um, chairmen are kind of quaking in the boots, aren't they? They like all the prestige of being in the boardroom and sitting at the front row of the director's box and pumping the money in. But uh, those who attend, of course, some chairmen these days, including the Manchester City owner, you know, he's only been to the Etihad once in the 12 years he's owned the club. Um, but, uh, you know, these, uh, these chairmen who were who are up close and personal to the fans, they do react eventually, and uh, and you know they, they get the uh, the dreaded vote of confidence, which inevitably leads to the, getting the sack. Andy Buckley, as always, been an absolute privilege and a pleasure having you on the uh, on the program tonight. I'll, um, I understand you're a Manchester City fan. I'm a Liverpool fan. The f- fact that there is a little bit of angst is what makes the English Premier League so damn exciting it's the fact that we've got tribalism and it's something that New Zealand rugby could sort of um, learn a little bit more about Well yeah I like a little bit of spikiness on a Monday evening um, what well, it makes the world go round, doesn't it? As long as it's all good natured, that's, that's the thing about. Sport. I, I keep saying this: the only reason Manchester City spend as much money or Liverpool spend as much money is because of what the opposition are doing, what their opponents are doing, what the great clubs are doing. It's the only reason you train as hard because you know what you've got to do to try and beat Manchester City. Absolutely. Yeah, which makes sport and football, you know, such an attraction and such a magnetic, uh, you know, uh, event. I mean, it was an ordinary third round really for City today, but. The fact they were playing Chelsea suddenly made it a big, big deal. You know, capacity crowd at the Etihad. Fantastic. Andy Buckley, as always, thank you for your time tonight here on the programme. Pleasure. You are listening to SENZ. It is coming up to 8.30. We'll take a break. We'll change it up. We'll talk some basketball. Justin Nelson on the programme next. We'll also update action from the centre court of the ASB Tennis Classic. Our theme through to 10 o'clock when it comes to music are songs with the harmonica in it. We're going to change it up. We're going to talk some hoops. Memphis Grizzlies get up today, beat the Jazz 123-118. The Nets got up narrowly over the Miami Heat 102-101. Sean Mark, Stephen Adams, the Kiwi Connection, uh, probably the two teams that I'm following at the moment. I feel a little bit like a, I don't know, I feel a little bit like a populist at times. I've got to say I was a big Chicago Bulls fan in the 1990s and then I lived in Toronto, so I became very much a Toronto Raptors fan. And I've got to say probably Toronto is still my NBA team for having lived there. But I do like to see anything with a Kiwi connection. Nets currently sitting second in the Eastern Conference behind the Celtics. Celtics 28 and 12, and the Nets 27 and 13. And good news for Grizzly fans, they sit second in the Western Conference, 26 and 13, behind the Nuggets, who are also 26 and 13. But let's talk some National Basketball League. Let's talk the Australian Basketball League. The Voice, Justin Nelson, joins us. Justin, good evening. Welcome. A very good evening to you. That's a 
quite a summation and, and wrap up there. And it sounds like you've been through a few teams over the years. I've been very privileged to have watched some very good basketball. Studying in Toronto in 1988, 1998-1999, I was there when Sean Marks played his first 38 seconds in the NBA against, I think it was the Cleveland Cavaliers. I was there when they went into what was the Air Canada Centre. They had the Sprite Zone. It was 10 bucks to go and see games. And so I was very blessed to have watched a lot of NBA. But I was also very lucky to be sideline courtside for the 2008 Olympic final between wow. the Dream Team and Spain, which they've just made a Netflix uh, documentary about. Yeah, and I was there with yeah. I was there with um, Brendan Tell for broadcaster and Peter Montgomery of all things. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, that's uh, that that is quite some history there and. Two things that come of that, uh, certainly um, I'm sure a lot of NBA fans wish tickets were still $10 each. <laughs> in, in, in the Sprite Zone, yeah, it was unbelievable. The top, the players that, you know, Alan Iverson turning up one week, you go, oh, I'm watching Alan yeah. Iverson, there's my 10 bucks, guys. Yeah. Uh, that's an absolute ripper. And uh, that Netflix uh, doco, by the way, is, uh, is really, really good. I've seen that and uh, great memories. Yeah, yeah, and look, the Toronto side, you know, had guys like Tracy McGrady, um, it also had Vince Carter, clearly, Sean Vince Marks. Vince Carter, yeah. Sean Marks was in his rookie season. Um, you know, there were some good players in that Toronto side. Yeah, look, they've got some good players this season. They just can't string wins together. I mean, certainly that rundown you gave on the intro there, uh, you know, Boston really love what they're doing. Memphis, obviously, and they are definitely gathering a lot of support here in New Zealand with the uh, with the Adams connection. And you just sense Denver is starting to wind things up as well. They're they're really starting to crank things up yeah. as we enter the second half of the season. Yeah, I'll ask you. I'll ask you this then, Justin, because they say this with the NRL. You don't win the NRL in the months of March, April, May, and June. You start to sort of win it in the month of August and September. When do you win the NBA? Yeah, look, it's an interesting question. Um, most people would say post All-Star. That's when things really go up to the next level. But, you know, wins, no matter when you get them through the season, they go into the win column, don't they? So you have to start well. You have to play well through the middle stages and you have to finish well. It's a long season. There's no doubt about that before the business end uh, kicks in. But, you know, we're, we're about to, to find ourselves in this trade window as well. Uh, and, and some really big things go down at this time of the year. So, yeah, look, definitely over the next uh, four to six weeks, I think you're going to see uh, those that uh, are likely to be in the box seat, in the best seats, come the business end. They're going to start to emerge now. Okay. Now, what's happening locally here with the National Basketball League? Yeah, well, free agency opened today in the Selves NBL. And what that means is uh, officially, publicly, teams can start announcing players that they have signed. Teams have been working in the background, you know, for weeks and months now, just getting themselves in a position as to who they're going to look at, you know, who they might sign. Certainly some offers have been out there with players, both locally and, and right around the world with the international players as well. But now all of a sudden we get to hear who these teams have signed. And two players announced today in the Selves NBL. The Taranaki Airs, of course, who had a wonderful season in 2022, finished on top of the table in the regular season for the first time since 1992. It was an incredibly competitive league last year. They are bringing back their court leader, Richie Roger, uh, who had a wonderful season in 2022. He was the best three-point shooting player in the Selves NBL. So they've been quick to re-sign 
their court martial, Richie Rogers signing on for the years. And the first import for season 2023 was announced today. The Manawatu Jets have snared the signature of Danny Pippen, who's a six foot ten, twenty-five year old forward out of Kent State University, Detroit, Michigan native, currently playing with Cobrat in Finland, where he's averaging nineteen points and seven rebounds. And here's the added extra on Danny Pippen. I think he'll fit right in at home here in New Zealand because his favorite thing to do off the basketball court is to ride his skateboard. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Boy, you don't see a big man riding a skateboard, do you? No low <laughs> centre of gravity. Boy, you've got to have great coordination when you're a, a tall player like that on a skateboard. Hey, just on that, I've been doing the commentary for the Tuatara baseball, and uh, yesterday we had Aaron Young, the Tuatara of basketball, coach yeah. straight out the first pitch. I've got to say, it was a strike too. Oh, good on him. He's uh, he's a wonderful coach. He's had a couple of years in the Cells uh, NBL now, and of course took his team all the way to the grand final. Uh, last season, and he's he's a rising coach, definitely one to watch. Not sure how he'd go playing a, a full game for the Tuatara out on the diamond, but certainly on a basketball court as a coach, he uh, does very well. Yeah, I call it confusing ability with ambition. It's a little bit like that. I have been listening to some of your commentary as as well for the uh, for the baseball. You do a good job, very very good job, very entertaining. Yeah, look, uh, look, uh, it's like anything, isn't it? I, I'm learning the game as we're going, but what we've tried to do is broaden the audience. Uh, it's not just about trying to talk to baseball people. It's trying to actually grow the sport, and that's where Dale and Mark Irwin are very good. It's like, okay, guys, you know what you're talking about, but let's expand it and tell people at home what you mean when you talk about certain things. And look, it has got to be entertaining, doesn't it? And so, um, yeah, uh, look, it's, it's a work in progress, but um, yeah, thoroughly enjoy it. I've got to say I enjoy it. it it's amazing just how no different than basketball but it's all very well being a fan it's all very well watching it but when you've actually got to go and call it you start to realise just how many little subtleties there are just how many things are going on and just how much you've got to learn Oh look there's no doubt about that and and basketball is is definitely in that same wheelhouse similar to baseball where you know if you look at an audience and you you take in what they're looking for um, from the entertainment package that you deliver you know, so many things within those games, and football is another one, means mm. a lot to so many different people. Because it's not just about the stars, it's not just about, you know, the tactics, it's also about the stats, you know, and certainly for baseball, basketball and football, mm. they are very uh, stats-heavy driven sports. So, yeah, anyway, change the topic. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, let, let, let's talk about the Breakers, because they got the job done over Adelaide, 85-83. It's their seventh win on the road, and yeah. they seem to be coming right at the right time after having gone through just a little bit of, of a lull in the month of December. So what's what's forced the change in form? What's been the turnaround? Well, it's it's been it's been a rocky road. I mean, let let's let's call it for what it is. Uh, they're doing really well away from home. They're seven and two. They're six and four on home soil. But the month of December was a really rocky road for the Breakers. They had the COVID breakout with with seven plus players going down. Uh, that has forced a couple of games to be rescheduled. They went uh, a huge amount of time in between games. Uh, and that's never a good thing right in the middle of the season. So they've had to combat that. They've had some injury woes as well. Um, certainly a lot of players coming in and out. It looked like against Adelaide and uh, and where McDowell-White was a late inclusion. He had to pass a fitness test. But it does look like now with the breakers that the lineup is settled. 
The players are back on court. They're back playing again, fit, healthy, overcome injuries, overcome COVID. And now in the uh, ANBL season, it is definitely the business end. They've played 19 games. They've got nine regular season games to go, second on the table. And I've got to tell you, this coming week, I think, will be the defining week for the uh, Sky Sport Breakers in uh, season 22-23. They've got three games coming up this week. They play Tuesday night in Perth, then return to Christchurch to take on Melbourne United on Thursday night. Then they play Cairns up in Auckland on Sunday. Massive, massive week. Is the game in Christchurch, is that a home game or is that Melbourne having yep, taken it, it to Christchurch? No, definitely a home game for the Breakers. They do like to take their games around New Zealand. We saw them play in New Plymouth last week. They've already played one game in Christchurch this season. This is the second time. Yeah, yeah but should, should, should you should you put commercial decisions ahead of performance decisions? I'm not sure I agree with that. I get what they're trying to do, but there's a thing called home court advantage for a reason. Yeah, look, it's a, it's an interesting debate, and it's one that's been in sport for many, many years in many different competitions because it's not a new thing in uh, in moving uh, games around, whether it be commercially or not. I mean, right now, yeah, the Breakers probably want to play as many games on the road as they can. Mm. They're 7-2 away from home. So, you know, whether home court advantage is there or not uh, at the moment, they're definitely better away from uh, from mm. Spark Arena. Okay, if it's not the Breakers, we've got the Kings on top, we've got the Taipans third, we've got the Jack Jumpers in fourth. Who impresses you? Which of the Australian teams do you believe is the team to beat? Now that we get into the business end, which team's got the momentum? Which team do you think is going to get it right? Yeah, look, probably a month ago, I was talking up Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, and and they've really dropped away the last few weeks. Whereas, you know, without Pinder, their best player, Cairns, all of a sudden have strung four wins in a row together. So they're coming good, uh, and they look a, a, a really um, focused, dedicated uh, team that is just on the same page as each other and playing really, really well. So I like what Cairns are doing. Uh, but you can't go past the Sydney Kings. I mean, they're on top of the table for a reason. But if you go through their results, and especially in the last month, they are taking teams to the cleaners. They are hitting their stride definitely at the right end of the season. Uh, and I think the Sydney Kings right now are the team to beat. Justin Nelson, absolute privilege and a pleasure to have you on the program. We must have do it more regularly until we sort of get the old hoops back. Uh, you're a good man. There's a lot going on. And as I said, free agency opened in sales NBL. So one thing you can be assured of locally is as the days roll by now, we're going to see a lot of announcements coming out from those 10 NBL teams here in New Zealand. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, Justin, we've got one more home series left for the Tuatara at home in the world of baseball. That's going to be the Brisbane Bandits in a couple of weeks. Why don't we get you along? Why don't we get you up into the commentary box, big guy? Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, I, I know a few of the ownership group there with the uh, with the Tuatara Baseball. They are a, a great group. They do some some wonderful things in sport, in baseball and, and basketball. But I'd love to do that. Oh, and I think I it, think the two. Yeah, I think the Tuatara still a chance to make the playoffs too. Yeah, they do. It'll be between Canberra. They they're away this week. They go to Geelong to take on Geelong Korea, and then they've got Brisbane at home, which won't be easy. They're not playing well, but it's about just a little shift in momentum, and I think they can yeah. play well. But yeah, no, just a good opportunity, wouldn't it, to sort of talk about franchises, talk about the baseball and the basketball franchise that is the Tuatara. Yeah, mark it down. I'll catch up with you then. Looking forward to it. Thirteen minutes away from nine. Justin Nelson talking basketball. You're listening to SENZ. Great, great song choice, Ben. You don't associate the Beatles with a harmonica until, again, you're reminded of it. Songs with a harmonica in it, very much the theme for tonight here on SENZ. 
Howard Dobson, Dobbo. I'm going to have him on the program after nine o'clock. Do some opinion. Should the umpires determine bad light in a cricket match or should the two teams determine bad light? Both sides want to continue, chase a result. Why not continue to play? Why should the umpires bring it to an end? Safety reasons, I get it. But surely these teams are grown adults, grown men, grown women. They should be able to determine it. That is one talking point. Do we need to get a cover, a roof on the stadium of number one tennis lane for two tournaments a year? Who pays for it? Or is it just a reflection again on the poor infrastructure of our sports stadia in this country? We'd love to have the world-class stadiums, but the biggest thing that holds New Zealand back in terms of its development is we just don't have scale. We just don't have size of population, do we? Text earlier, appreciate this one. This comes from Brent. Hey, Watto, just discovered SENZ on the air. Glad to find you living rent-free in people's heads still. Love your work. That comes from Brent. Love to have you think. Nice that you've discovered it. Nice that you're a fan of mine. There you go. I've got to say, I do find this time of year tough. Like everybody, you're sort of you're sort of there, but you're not. You're still sort of got one foot on holiday, one foot in sort of being a little bit relaxed, and then you sort of got a one foot. Well, I've got a radio show, and I sort of need to be at my best. I need to be ready to go, and you sort of think you are, and then you sort of come on and think. Just don't think of us out facing playing a test at Lords, and I was facing the new ball, I'd be seeing it that well. I think I'd be back in the pavilion. And that's like anything, isn't it? Sometimes you just need time. you just got to work back into it. You've got to find your mojo. doesn't matter what industry it is. Might also be the fact that, do I feel a bit flat tonight? I'm not sure. I did swim earlier today. I've been doing a lot of swimming. I'm enjoying my swimming again. I never started as a swimmer. I had to sort of teach myself properly how to swim when I was about 18, 19, when I sort of decided that I sort of wanted to maybe do my first triathlon. And I've done a lot of work on it in the last couple of years privately at a pool in Murawai where I can just get up there on my own. Swimming's are what you call a taught sport. So it's governed by technique. It's all technique, hydrodynamics. It's like a golf swing. You can play all the golf in the world you want, if you don't have a good swing, if you don't have good mechanics, you're not going to shoot a low score. Swimming's the same. I can make you swim fit. I can't make you swim fast. Um, so I went to Parnell Baths here in Auckland uh, this afternoon and did three kilometres. Parnell's unique. It's like 57 or 58 metres long. In swimming, you have short course, which is 25 metres, and you have long course, which is 50 metres like you see at the Olympic Games. And so 58 metres or 57 metres is... Yeah, slightly odd. It's also this combination of salt water and chlorine. And one thing with swimming is that when you finish swimming, you're really, really hungry. And all you want to do is go home and have a sleep. So I've had to come in here, whack myself to the eyeball with coffee and pep myself up. And I feel as the evening's progressing, I'm not maybe swinging and missing as much outside off stump. I'm starting to maybe just middle a little bit more. I'm not quite hitting beach balls just yet but things are moving in the right direction. And I'm on tomorrow night, and then we've got some day shifts, and then we've got some time next week. It's a really nice way to start the new year. Want you to come on the journey with us, though. Need you listening to us, guys. And again, I say this. Hear the advertisers on this station. If those brands are part of any future purchasing decision, go with the brands you've heard on SENZ. Okay? 
because that's how we stay in business. That's how we bring you sport throughout most of the day. It is one minute after nine. Some Bob Dylan songs with the harmonica in it is the theme tonight here on the programme. Playing them off the back of the ad breaks at the top of the hour. Got any songs that feature a harmonica in it? They don't automatically register with people, do they? Because sometimes you don't actually necessarily pinpoint the fact that you're listening to harmonica. But we're going to have a little bit of a a, a, a harmonica off around about 9.30 tonight. We want to work out what's been, what are the two songs we're going to determine are the greatest two songs? I mean, that's got to be in the mix right there. Well, I think we've decided it's between Hard and Gold and Piano Man. Hard and Gold and Piano Man. So happy, gonna, happy for any late We're going to play those two songs. We've got a little bit of data on where they sat historically in terms of the charts and what Rolling Stone thinks of both songs, but also which song has been sold the most. So if you've got any thoughts, you can test us here on double eight double three. One man who always has an opinion, and I thoroughly enjoy reading what he does put up on Facebook and social media, because it's always well constructed, it's always well thought out, and he writes with a lot of passion. And that is Howard Dobson. You'll always remember Howard, Dobbo's Plays of the Week on TV3, joins us on the programme. Howard, good evening, welcome. Mark, uh, Happy New Year. Yeah, no, absolutely. How are you, mate? I saw a, I saw a, a post on Facebook from you, and the weather was about as miserable as the weather that I was also viewing at the same time. It's been appalling. <laughs> I went for a couple of uh, hurricane beach walks if you get in the hurricane. Uh, but no, mate, like a lot of New Zealanders, you're pulling your hair out waiting for the weather to get better. I see North Island's going to cop it again. But a uh, place to be, I hear, is Cromwell, around Christchurch, Cromwell, Akaroa seems to be the place to be in NZ at the moment. You'll avoid the raindrops. Mm. Look, your most recent post um, was to do with the Wellington Phoenix um, escaping with a 1-0 win against Sydney at Allianz Stadium after two Phoenix players were red-carded and <laughs> we managed to save two penalties. What In two minutes during stoppage time. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm going to ask you this. So... What frustrated you? I mean, it ends up being one of the great games, but was it off the back of some poor refereeing? I mean, what what was the contentious issues for you in that game? Oh, I suppose the memories of the refs versus the Warriors flooded back. We just don't get the rub of the green, the 50-50s, and the poor old Phoenix copped it. And we saw red cards that didn't deserve to happen. And okay, one of our boys grabbed the throat, but it was I think it was more of a... Uh, in jest than anything else that he gets red carded after a previous offence. It was just bizarre. I think, well, these referees seem to be quite theatrical, don't they? they are they almost um, prima donna or some of these guys um, doing Hollywoods when they're not tackled? Uh, I just I just was shocked. It's almost like the referee was incensed by the crowd to do something and it just was just bizarre. So I had no issues with Ollie's sale waving his hand at the ref's face while he's preparing to save the second penalty, which was kicked wide. He didn't have to lay a finger on it anyway. But the whole thing was almost theatrical, but it was infuriating at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting with the referees because when you get to the highest level at the World Cup, they're, a lot of the time I think they are, you know, we didn't, I've got to say, I didn't, there was the, there was the Japan goal, which clearly crossed the line in my opinion. Um, was it Japan? Who did they end up beating off that particular goal anyway? But most of the time, I didn't think we spent a lot of time the next day talking about the referees, but it's almost at that tier no. below. Um, yeah, they sort of get almost caught up in their own celebrity. 
Yes, and that's a very good point, hence the theatrical nature of it. I think, what is it, the God syndrome? Give someone a white coat on the, on the gate and they won't let you in. Um, it's next level, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm just uh, pleased for them uh, how they won in such bizarre circumstances when the odds were stacked against them. And, yeah, it felt a little bit of them and us, you know, uh, the Aussies against the Kiwis, because um, we don't see many New Zealand officials in the NRL or in the Aussie Football League, and it's just you kind of feel that they're the, the part that's missing in neutrality. <laughs> but good on the Knicks. Wow, nine men, two penalties that didn't go in, and we steal a 1-0 result. It's just just marvellous. But it was the weirdest game probably you'd ever see. But they, they reckon it's probably the craziest game ever in the... Um, Australian football league. But but sometimes you need weird, sometimes you need crazy to promote the sport, to uh, draw some attention to it. And right or wrong, hey, more people now aware of that game, more people now curious to tune in next time the two sides do play each other. Absolutely. And it's off the backdrop that they've already predetermined where the playoff yeah. final's going to be. And, you know, all those Wellington yeah. fans are denied a home final if we make it. And I think it's compounding issues and this was just taking more frustration look I want to I want to ask you this one I get annoyed in sport with sports trying to be too perfect you know trying to change the rules to take out any of man's frailties or any of man's flaws because we want to target the family and yet we have a game like that and there's a lot of discussion People are suddenly looking to watch the replay, trying to find out what what it was all about, what the drama was all about, what it looked like. We see a punch-up in State of Origin and 50,000 people get off their seats and it's highly engaging on television. Uh, we saw Sevens in Wellington where, yeah, alcohol was served, people dressed up and it was a great party, it was the hottest ticket in town. But we see sports trying to cut all of that stuff out, trying to somehow believe that we're all perfect, there's only a small percentage of fans who are flawed. Where I'm of the belief, go the other way. Stop being prats, mark it and allow the game to be played, allow fans to have an experience in and around the fact that we are flawed. Clearly, clearly there is a line, I get that, and you have consequences in place. But I'm, I'm yeah, I'm just sick and tired of everything being so damn sanitised to try and appease a few people and it, and I say it, it, we are flawed I mean history proves that Yeah are you talking about the sevens that are coming to Hamilton shortly? Oh, I, I, I'm just well no well I, you know I want to see a bit of Biff back in State of Origin I want to see the Wellington sevens going I don't mind if a streaker runs on the field I don't you know like I say it's entertaining it is who we are most of us move on and get over it we're not offended by it <laughs> uh, you know one minute they're, they're stopping the fun and next minute they're screaming for people to come back so it's, it's a catch 22 but uh, look, what have we got coming up? The Sevens at Hamilton. It's the last time New Zealand gets to host them. So I imagine there'll be a bit of uh, fun, uh, as long as people aren't melting in the fun. Because what, she was 26 degrees in the shade today, and I imagine she's going to get very warm for that version of the Sevens. But it won't be the same as Wellington. And when will New Zealand get it back, mate? So <laughs> maybe people will let their hair down Wellington style at the Hamilton Sevens. Yeah, I just think sport take themselves way too seriously these days. And I, I just look around. And what I've noticed is with this sort of move to... Um, yeah, this move to good behaviour and, and sanitise everything. All I'm seeing is crowd numbers down, 
Uh, there doesn't seem to be the interest in live sport anymore. Um, yet I see a market increase in interest in sports like mixed martial arts and boxing. Perhaps they're gladiatorial. Perhaps people do like to see, you know, mankind in a flawed way. Well, they like, they like seeing blood, don't they? <laughs> they certainly watch it in the virtual world. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, look, I think we're spoiled for opportunity, mate. There's just too many things happening. And then when things happen, they happen too often. Uh but then you've got the reverse side. Like uh, I remember the times at Eden Park at the cricket where the TV3 were covering stories where about 48 people turned up at a, at a ground that holds nearly 50,000 and people turned away for having butter knives in their chilli bin so that stopped them from watching the cricket. So, yeah, we do see bizarre things. And as I say, give man a bit of authority, put him in a white coat and they have a God complex uh, wanting to stop people or deny them. So, But... Um, Mate, one of the things that blew me away in the last over the weekend was the test match that was called off with three overs to go for bad light when the floodlights were on, when the last scoring shot was a six, but deemed too dangerous to play on. I mean, how ridiculous is that? You come to five days, it's like a triathlon, mate, or a marathon with 100 metres to go, sorry, we're calling the race off, there might be a couple of potholes and someone might get injured. Here we had two umpires call the game off uh, for the for fear of uh, danger to the batsman, when both teams could have won with three overs to go, New Zealand versus Pakistan and Karachi. That's probably one of the craziest non-finishes I've ever seen. Well, I think the only time that you stop for bad light is if the batsman at each end deem it to be too dangerous and appeal to the umpires for bad light. If both batters are continued are prepared to continue to play, or both batters say, "Look, I'm continued to play," um, and if the light meter says potentially we should leave the field. I'm, if Look, if you're going to stop your fast bowling, just bowl spin, we're happy to continue to play, then let's play. Uh, but this is what I'm talking about. Why well, preordain things? You've got growing adults there. You've got a result up. Test cricket's in trouble. We want to see the climax. You've probably got one of the biggest audiences glued to the television. It doesn't often happen in test cricket where you come down to a situation like that. Suddenly you've got test cricket that's taking the best of T20, the best of one day, putting it in the most traditional format, only for a couple of umpires using technology to shut it down. Agreed. And under the laws, which is an ass, they shot themselves in the foot. The, the umpires are the be-all and end-all on light decisions, but they should have given offered it back to the batsmen. Hey, we're only 15 yeah. months away from a win. We want to carry on. Give it back to the bowlers. Yeah, we're only one wicket away. We want to carry on. Let the players decide it. So that's one law that desperately needs to be changed because cricket, test cricket was an ass, and that was a nail in the coffin. Both New Zealand and Pakistan could have won that game. It was epic. It goes so deep. Three overs on the fifth day to finish it. Okay, if they played it out, it was a draw, so be it. But at least go to duration. And the players should be offered that. And I think cricket desperately need to revisit that and say, hey, if the players want to continue, we've played back backyard cricket at night or in softball. You keep going till you finish until mum calls you in for dinner. So what, it's dark, your eyes have adjusted, play on. I just don't understand what happened there. That was just outrageous. In that series, I was talking to Garth Galloway earlier, and he felt that New Zealand guilty of Kane Williamson allowing Kane Williamson his milestone of 200 and wasting about 10 overs and his stagnating scoring from 183 to 200. We saw the Australians with Usman Khawaja on 195, and they just declared and said, no, we want to give ourselves a chance. I mean, uh, are we putting individual performance ahead of the team here? Was was we guilty of that with Kane Williamson? Well, he only seems to bat at one tempo, which is not good enough for T20 cricket, and I don't think he should be in the team, but that's another discussion. Um... In terms of the captaincy, if you listen to Ian Smith on Fox Sport with covering the South Africa Aussie series, 
Smithy's been offered, I've interviewed a couple of times, and he's been the absolute goal with Skull, Kerry O'Keefe. And he reckons that Kane Williamson reluctantly, not by willingly, gave up the captaincy. And so I think there's something a little bit deeper yeah. in this because Smithy's usually got his ear to the ground. He knows who's who in the zone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, and oh, I, I wonder whether Kane's, uh, yeah. Oh, had oh, a little tension yeah, having to keep the removed from it. Yeah, my understanding is there's a different philosophy between Gary Steer, the coach, and Kane Williamson, and they share a very different philosophy. And there has been tension there for some time, and thus the change. Mind you, I'm not sure that Gary Steed well, you know, is necessarily we is necessarily in a position to be having, uh, yeah, necessarily be retaining his job at the same time, in my opinion. Anyway. Well, I'm interested in the philosophy because I think they're both passive. They both uh, aren't. They don't take the game by the throat. They're both conservative. Um, oh, oh, I think Stead needs to go as well, mate. But look, Kane's magnificent in ODI, magnificent in Test cricket. Uh, unfortunately, I felt that his, his tempo in the T20s cost us badly, and that was reflected in also in the World Cup, the recent World Cup. But yeah. Um, I, well, let's flip it the other way. The new captain with Tim Southey, I thought he was a great declaration the day before, and he gets two for none before stumps. Well, that was bold, and it paid off, and we almost stole the win the next day. Yeah, interesting. Look, I think they are taking a leaf out of Brendan McCullum, out of Ben Stokes, out of Basball, whatever you want to call it. I think everybody's realising that cricket's struggling to capture the essence and the passion that we grew up with in the 1980s and the 1990s. Test cricket, it is how players' legacies are ultimately determined. Um, and for Test cricket to be successful, you've got to take the elements of one-day cricket, you've got to take the elements of T20 cricket, and you've got to somehow fuse them into the Test game. England have done it brilliantly, and I think I think we saw a little of it under Southey. Absolutely. Um, and the issue is, since we were uh, the inaugural Test Championship winners, we haven't won a Test series since. We haven't won a Test in the last five Tests. We've slipped from first to eighth, so it's been a dramatic fall from grace in terms of the rankings. And we seem to have no faith in our spinners at home. Mm. And then when we play abroad, they don't play enough. Mm. Did you know that after Patel got 10 for against India, 14 for in the match, he'd only bowled two overs in one year since he did that astonishing feat? Yeah, and he looked. Two overs going into the Pakistan series? Yeah. So he was so undercooked. Wasn't yeah, he? and he looked underdone. He just struggled to find that consistency, didn't he? Um... And then you have Soda, who hadn't played a test in four years. Mm-hmm. But, but, but look, the other frustration coming up too is we've got England here for two tests, a really, really good England team. Bolt's not available because he's playing in a T20 cricket tournament in the UA. Good luck to him. He's entitled to go and do that. But surely the people, run, but surely people running the game, both here and at the ICC, can somehow create a little bit more of a window. We've got arguably our best test bowler probably since Hadley, and he's unavailable yep. against a very good England team because he's playing some ridiculous tournament, the UAE, which only have any coverage at all. You know, you only need to get 1% of the Indian population and, uh, you know, you're going to get your money back tenfold, aren't you? It's, 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 it's appalling. Then you look around and you see that Matt Henry's out injured. You've still got Kyle Jamison. He's out. You've well, got he's not, Ad, he, Ad, won't be, he won't be available for the first test of that series. Yeah, and Adam, play, Adam, Adam Milne probably won't be fit. Uh, boy, it's, you know, at a time when cricket needs to be winning, particularly, uh, I mean, I'd imagine they're quietly pleased that Spark's fallen over and these games are going to be showing somehow on some platform 
through Television New Zealand. Yeah, look, we've never. When was the last time New Zealand cricket didn't they have a home game around Boxing Day, around New Year's? They don't play a home game till February, mm. uh, which is astonishing. And yeah, I, I think a lot of people are pleased that Sparks about to, you know, dump it. We all knew it wasn't going to work on that platform, and TVNZ's a benefactor, so we're going to see live free-to-air sport of our cricket mm. team. And look what it did for the Black for the, for the women's rugby team in the Women's World Cup. Yeah, but look, well, the reason why those women were elevated to demigod status was that the country could see it on free-to-air. Yeah, but I tell you what, we're going to have everybody ringing up, talking about the number of commercials that Television New Zealand are going to play. Um, now, <laughs> Well, you can't have it both ways. You've got to pay for it uninterrupted or accept it free-to-air with some interruptions. Absol- look, absolutely. Hey, look, just finally, been a bit of a discussion too around number one tennis lane or what formerly known as Stanley Street for the tennis. I mean, just two weeks of the year, yeah. but women's tournament, basically an absolute disaster last week. I'm not sure the men's is necessarily going to be any better looking at the forecast as of tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I mean, you put a roof on it. I mean, who pays for it? But it's also probably just symbolic or a bit of an indictment on just the general quality of or lack of world-class sporting facilities in this country. Yep. Yep, and we, yeah, uh, you couldn't have said it better. I mean, all the Grand Slabs have roof facilities, so if you're going to pay $1,500 to be corkside and it rains, you know that you're going to have the roof put up. Uh, I think part of the problem is that the indoor facilities that they switch to are on the North Shore, so it's a bit of a drive over the bridge <laughs> from Stanley Street. And people who, you know, want to, if they're going to, park it for a day at a venue, don't want to have to drive to the next venue to see it indoors, so they desperately need indoor facilities at Stanley Street, even if it's humble, only holds 300 seats, um, people don't want to move, and you sit there for hours waiting for the rain to stop, and the women's final was interrupted mm. twice, And but that women's final last night, I think, started after 10 o'clock at night, can you believe that, the day before most people go back to work? I was in bed. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, I was watching, is this live? It's live. Mm. I do, I do. But yeah, look, hey, one thing about that, because it's a what is it's a tier four event, right? So it, our the money's pathetic. The players don't come for the money, but gee, we get some good names coming. You know, Venus Williams, Coco Goff, who won it. Wow, for an event that's not there for the money, we do an amazing job attracting some stars, don't we? Yeah, and I've got to say, Coco Goff, she actually turned up with her father to watch the Auckland Tour at North Harbour Stadium a week earlier. It was lovely to actually see her come along. And she did just, you mention that in your commentary? I think I might have yesterday. Well, she had to. She had. How's the Tuatara going? What sort of crowds are getting there, mate? Well, it's an interesting one because it's been just the weather's just ruined it. We haven't had that ability to get some momentum. I mean, I think your best night we've had about probably two thousand. But you've got to realise too, there's four games over the space of sort of three days, so it does tend to get spread out a little bit. It's not like there's just one game a week. I think if you had just one game a week, you'd probably get a lot larger crowds. But look, it's got a, it's got a small following. It's slowly building. Uh, seems to be. Yeah, it seems to have have a reasonable following, but you've got to start somewhere. Rome was there's a few major league scouts there ready to appoint someone special. Well, look, most of the most of the players with most of the clubs are affiliated with major league clubs anyway. Most of them come out of Double A, Triple A, or are former major leaguers, um, and they're actually you know they've got relationships with most of the major league clubs. So the standard of baseball is actually very very high indeed, and it is um, an opportunity. Oh, look, we had Jared Koenig out here three years ago. Now Jared was. Picked up by the Tuatara, he was playing what they call independent ball in America. So independent ball is not associated with any major league club. It's just a sort of professional competition stage somewhere in America. And so they sort still of get paid. Smaller. They still get paid. Yeah, they still get paid, but bugger all. And so he took a chance, came down here, 
Um, pitched really, really well for the Tuatara. Got picked up by the Oakland A's. Left the Tuatara wow. early, which didn't help us that season. Went back, played double A, got promoted to triple A. This year made his major league debut for the Oakland Athletics and ended up pitching 10 games, made his major league debut against um, the Atlanta Braves. Second game was against the Boston Red Sox. And that just shows you, I guess, the seriousness of the Australian Baseball League in terms of the way the major league clubs look at it, but also the pathway that is now available to young baseball players in this country. Now, I've got to ask you, I did a bit of channel surfing, speaking of the Tuatara, and I, I flicked through, I saw it for about three seconds. Did I see a gazebo, or was it a marquee a few metres back from where the catcher uh, sets up to receive the pitch? Correct, Dobbo. They you... set up... If you come so al- what's that, like a little player's tunnel to the diamond? I've never seen that before. They don't have that in the Major League, do they? That's just to accommodate the shocking weather to get the boys undercover as soon as possible. What was that for? There? No, the one directly behind home plate? Yeah. No, that's where people like you come and sit if you know the right people. That's actually for spectators. Oh, so that's the VIP seating that, area, Dobbo, you come along. I know people who know people, <laughs> and I can get you in there, and you can just have a look at how fast these guys are thrown and how much movement there is on that ball. I know, I don't doubt it for a second. You've only got to go to a cricket match to watch Ferguson bowl 150 clicks and you can't see it uh, when you're close to the ground. So I imagine those pitches are just as quick. Well, they're throwing, but, it, they're throwing it 150k an hour. Some will go close to 160. The difference between baseball and cricket is that once it leaves the hand in cricket and it goes actually hits the ground and goes past the wicket, it's down to about 120. In baseball, yeah. it'll leave the hand at 100 mile an hour, come past your head at 100 mile an hour. Now we've got one more home series against the Brisbane Bandits, but I know people who know people. you just got to get in touch with me. Wow, wow. No, I, I hadn't seen that before. I thought, well, how, how cool is that? So, oh, no, it's prime, that's, yeah, that's, 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 that's prime time. I mean, when you go to a baseball game, the best seats are directly behind home plate. Yeah. Love it, mate. Oh, well, next time I uh, channel hop, I'll, I'll watch a bit more on that one. I think it was you had a rain delay, so I thought, right, I'll flick on to the next one. But I, I had never seen that before in, in semi-professional sport on NZ, eh? It was very clever. Yeah, very no, clever. they do a good job. Hey, Dobbo, lovely to have you on the programme. We'll do it regularly. Good man, as always. Thank you. Yeah, and, and just one thought, I suppose, another all-black fly south uh, for the uh, next summer. Uh, um, yeah, well, good luck to him. We're well done. to lose them, aren't we? Uh, yeah. But I suppose it's just normal, isn't it? In the World Cup, yeah, they always yeah. let you know. Uh, look, I, I think, uh, I think, I think longevity in the All Black jerseys now about probably about six years at best. You're probably going to get most guys, um, you know, might have 50, 60 tests and they're gone. And that's just the harsh reality of it. I don't think you'll see a lot of guys in the future necessarily going on to play 100, 100 plus tests. Uh, I think, no. mind you, they don't play a lot of rugby these days. They're rested the whole time, aren't they? Hey, do you know any good real estate agents in the Hamilton Waikato region? Hey, you don't have to do that, mate. Uh, people can find me if they want to buy and sell houses in Hamilton. That's all good. Just look up Dobbo. There you go. Brilliant. Howard Dobson, as always, thank oh, you. you mate. Have, have a, have a, have, and, and let me know, um, when are you going to get Mr. Wild on the show? You know, Slap the neck, isn't he the hottest thing in, in uh, triathlon at the moment? What's, what's happening with him? We can get Hayden on. We can get Hayden. We can phone Hayden. I'll probably see him in a week's time, actually, down at the Port of Tauranga Half Ironman or the... Mount Half Ironman, which is one of the big races. I don't think he does it individually at the moment, but he certainly always takes part in a team event. He's a Tauranga boy. Is he not New Zealand's best endurance athlete at the moment? Oh, right I, I think New Zealand's best endurance athlete at the moment. I, I'm, i yeah, look, I think 
Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I guess we measure it by Olympics, don't well, we? Well, you, but you I think, I, I think, I, th- I no, I think Braden Curry is our best endurance athlete. Wins the coast to coast, wins the New Zealand Ironman, top five in the world in Hawaii. I think Braden Curry is our best endurance athlete in the country at the moment. I think different, different though. It's a bit like trying to compare an eight hundred meter runner to a marathon runner. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, mate. All um. Hey, happy New Year, and uh, looking forward to. Uh, uh, some good good old-fashioned debates on the wireless with you, mate. No, looking forward to it. Thank you. Howard Dobson there, 25 minutes after nine. You might want to jump on the phone and have a discussion off the back of that. 0800 150 Who should determine bad light? Surely it should be the batters in cricket, the batsmen, batswomen. I mean, if both teams want to play, just play. Test cricket gets few situations to sell itself with the best parts of T20 cricket and the best parts of one-day cricket in the greatest form of the game and you decide to go off the bad light yet as Dobbo said the last scoring shot was a six stupidity at its finest 0800 150 811 is the number infrastructure our facilities in this country are woeful aren't they I think the surfaces that we play on are brilliant I think our ground staff are as good as anywhere in the world but just the stadium the whole stadium environment Game day experience. 0800 150 811 is the number. Like to get your thoughts. We've been playing music between from six o'clock tonight through to the close of the show. The theme is songs with the harmonica in them. And very shortly, we're going to have a little bit of a, a a battle between two very famous songs that feature the harmonica to determine what we think is arguably the most famous song. Of course, that is completely subjective, but we have put it out there to our listeners on double eight double three. Just to remind us who coming up after 10 o'clock, Peter McLash and Tom Bartlett will bring you ball-by-ball coverage of the one-day international between Pakistan and the Black Caps. Telephone numbers 0800 150 811. Mark, good evening. Welcome. G'day, Mark. How are you? And Happy New Year to you and Ben. Yeah, no. Looking forward to catching up throughout 223 with you, my good man. Yes. And it's been a good 2023 thus far. We've had a normal Sydney summer here with lots of fine, warm weather, which is great. I was just speaking to Martin Blenheim. She reckons they're copping a load of rain there, so it's not much of a summer over there at the moment. Hope you're getting some good weather where no, you are. No, the whole country is appalling, and we're about to get hit again very shortly on the entire East Coast, so it hasn't been great at all. Fortunately, I found myself in North Brisbane for a, a week or so, so I, was, I managed to escape it for a week. What can I do no. for you tonight, my good man? Well, it's about the cricket I'd like to talk. I mean, I uh, noticed the story on stuff on the Stuff app today. Uh, Riley McCullum, Baz's son, is doing quite well in an under-19 series of matches. And he reckons uh, Baz Ball's working for it, so more power to him, because it looks like in that match, I think there's about five New Zealand cricket players' sons who are playing in that series. So it looks like there's some good Kiwi talent coming up. But um, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's it, it, look it's amazing though, isn't it? How in team sports, children of famous players seem to go on and do well, and I think it's probably because they get some doors opened at a young age, possibly because of the connections they have, and they get some good coaching. Yep. Also, because they are around it a lot. I mean, nepotism yep. will only get you so far, but eventually you will get found out if you're not good enough. And I'd imagine maybe there's a little bit of that early on. Not not intentional. 
Um, but you look at a lot of individual sports like athletics, like swimming, you very rarely ever see siblings following in their parents' footsteps because there is zero room for nepotism, there is zero room for the reputation of your parents. That's right. And that being said, there are kind of uh, stories of people outside the box with stuff like that because I don't know if you follow Aussie rules too much like AFL, but I'm a mad Sydney Swans fan. And one of our uh, star players of the last kind of 15 to 20 years was a Canadian guy called Mike Pike. Yes, I do follow. Yep, I'm aware of that. Yep. Yep. And used to be a Canadian rugby league international. And then out of the blue, he turned up on the Sydney Swans doorstep, having never played the game before, and says, "Okay, I want to play the game. And long story short, he ended up being one of uh, Sydney's star players. And I believe it was the 2005 Premiership he won with the Swans. He was one of our star ruckmen. And the guy was an absolute, uh, you know, beloved guy here in Sydney. He still is. He's become an Australian citizen, Much, still much loved here in Sydney. Mm, yeah, no, remarkable stories, remarkable stories. All right, Mark. And hey, regarding... Yeah, go on, go just, on. yep. Just to, wrap, just to wrap up, regarding the cricket... I must say, I think uh, the decisions for lighting on cricket matches should be left in the hands of the players because that New Zealand-Pakistan decision made by the umpires was absolutely stupid when they had the spotlights on. They could see plain as day. And over here, the umpires in the South Africa versus Australia match on the last day, which was yesterday, made absolutely howlers of decisions with regard to an LBW that was uh, delivered where... Uh, Lyon had a guy, LBW, and Chris Gaffney, the umpire's initial not-out call, was upheld because technology revealed the ball had impacted the batter's pad outside off. And Mark Taylor, who was one of our former Australian captains, blasted that because he said, when a batsman goes back and across like that and gets hit in the shin in front of off stump, you've got to give that out. That's been out for 150 years of Test Match cricket, and I agree with it. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I agree with you too. And that sometimes, unfortunately, there are those little circumstances which technology doesn't factor in. Um, yep. But yeah, it, it, it's a difficult one, but you're 100% correct. Sometimes if, if it looks out, it's out. And that's it, and it's as simple as that. Hey, look, Mark, lovely to have you on yep. the program. Thank you. Appreciate your time Thanks, tonight. Mark. Cheers. Right. Okay, Before it is coming up to... Yeah, thank you. It is coming up to 25 minutes away from 10 o'clock. You are listening to SENZ uh, on the program. As a reminder, after 10 o'clock, Peter McGlashan, Tom Bartlett, part of our commentary team, bringing you live coverage of Pakistan taking on the Black Caps, or Black Caps taking on Pakistan. I've just lost my producer, Ben. I was going to take a commercial break, but Ben's had to go and open doors for people. I need you back, Ben. Can you hear me, Ben? I know the radio at the back is on, Ben. Take the commercial break for me, Ben. Brilliant. Ben's back. 20 minutes away from 10 o'clock live coverage. We start our build-up from 10 o'clock of the first one-day international between Pakistan and New Zealand. Tom Bartlett, Peter McLashen, Daniel McCarty, Jeremy Coney, your commentary team, just looking at the fast last five results for Pakistan. They've had five consecutive wins in the one-day format. New Zealand, two no results, a win and two losses. An enticing one-day series to look forward to. Uh, ben Francis, we've been playing music off the top of the breaks um, at the top of the hour, songs with the harmonica in them. We've sort of believed there's two, probably the two most famous. And we're going to play them, or parts of them, and then have a little bit of a date, maybe put it out there on the text machine and see what people think. And you've got a few statistics around each song. What are the two songs? 
Yeah, that's right. So we kind of decided between us, uh, Piano Man and Heart of Gold. So Neil Young against Billy Joel. I kind of looked into it a little bit because I was very curious to know how well each song went. And if you go based off the stats from the, this is 2004 Rolling Stone magazine. Now, one of the, our Piano Man is no longer featured. So the reason why we're going back to 2004 is because the one time that both of them featured. And in terms of their greatest songs of all time, Heart of Gold was 297th. Piano Man was 421th. Uh, Heart of Gold charted uh, the highest was 10th in New Zealand and number one in the US, while Piano Man was only 25th in the US and 14th in New Zealand. However, in terms of sales of the song itself, Piano Man in the US is five times platinum, so that's five million copies sold, while Heart mm -hmm. of Gold is just one million. However, it's quite interesting because look at Piano Man, and it wasn't until a few years later when it became really popular. I'm not too sure the reasons for that, but it wasn't a big hit from the get-go. It, you know, it, it was good, but it was later success. Well, it's, it's interesting because Bob Dylan's Heaven's Door was never that popular, but yet other bands, particularly Guns N' Roses, have made it hugely popular. Um, okay, well, let's play a little bit of each. Here's Billy Joel's Piano Man. Mind you, the piano also makes a very strong part of it. But the harmonica is just iconic. both absolutely iconic songs both songs that you'd have on any playlist listening to both of them terms purely in regards to the harmonica I have to say I think the harmonica has a greater presence and has a greater influence on a song I think it goes with the piano man for me I'd have to agree I'd have to agree with that one I don't know I, I'm a bit of a sucker for the piano too but I kind of like the whole story with the, with the piano man. I can understand why Rolling Stone go down that path with Neil Young because he's a bit more rock, he's a bit more alternative, he's probably a little bit cooler, he's not as mainstream. But fascinating, we're going to probably do this again tomorrow, I'm not sure what the theme for the music is, but you might have a thought, you can text us here on 8833. Which of those songs do you prefer? Are there any others that you think are more iconic 
with the use of a harmonica. Um, Bruce Springsteen has some very good songs. We heard um, Bad Obsession from Guns N' Roses. A lot of people probably won't have heard it, but it's got some great harmonica in it. We've played some Doobie Brothers. Um, we've played some iconic songs. So you can text us here on double eight double three. It is coming up to... Oh, Ben, sorry. I was going to say the theme for tomorrow night... It's going to probably have a lot of discussion around it because it's probably one where your opinion, it's got probably got a bit of opinion to it in terms of it's probably a bit of a, in terms of how you describe the category in terms of you might have a different perspective on it compared to someone else. Absolutely. Good. Good. Good to see that you're smoking it, Ben, that you're getting creative. I'm getting very creative. I've got, I've got, I've got about 20 folders ready to go. Fantastic. It is 15 minutes away from 10. You're listening to SENZ. It is 10 minutes away from 10 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. Peter McGlash and Tom Bartlett, two of our four commentators that are going to bring you ball-by-ball coverage from 10.30 tonight of the first one-day international between Pakistan and New Zealand. And my two guests in studio, just to bring it to an end, just to warm up, Mami Moo Do you go through any warm-up exercises to commentator, Tom? <laughs> you are going to ask me that. Uh, no, the best I had was singing along to something in the car on the way in. That might have been the best warm-up. Have you ever I tried this one? Mrs Hunt went punting on a rough cut punt, not a punt cut, rough but a rough cut punt. You don't want to get that one wrong. I was going to say, we well, don't want to get that, that one down wrong. and go back and check that. <laughs> yeah, I know. You <laughs> might just need to check that. I might not have a job tomorrow. Your eh? official involved nice and early. Yeah, Peter, Peter Lester, actually, yachting commentator taught me that one. It took me a little bit of time to practice that bad boy. You don't want to get that one wrong. No, you do not. No. No, no warm-ups from me, um, uh, Mark. I'm just going to get in there and see what happens. Okay, Peter McGlashan, what is going on with our fast bowlers? Why is everybody breaking down? Well, it's a, it's something that's been going on for decades. Um, you know, the, you just got to go back to the Shane Bonds of the world and Jacob Orams and all these other bowlers who have had injuries in the past. New Zealand, I don't know whether that's something but, but the conditions here. But we do the supplementary here. work now, don't we? Don't we do a lot more supplementary work? We do a lot more core strength, do a lot more work in the gym than perhaps... 20 years ago? Oh, absolutely. That stuff happens. But I think, you know, traditionally the thinking behind the injuries has been the surfaces that we end up doing all that winter work on are really hard. Whereas the countries like um, England, who do a lot of their pre-season in the Middle East, um, and obviously Australia, they get outdoors much quicker, and so the surfaces are much closer to what they play the game on. Do we need to adopt a baseball model with the higher level of rotation amongst our fast bowlers. Now in baseball, a pitcher might be used once and you might not see them for five or six days. I've heard this uh, argument a few times about rotating. I don't know if we've still got the depth, though, to do that. I don't know whether or not we'd be able to do that. I'm talking about the like the New Zealand team level. If we want to continue to be a World Cup finalist or in that level, particularly at limit open white ball cricket, you've got to roll out your best 11. And unfortunately, we don't quite have, the, I still don't think we've got the depth. Yeah, and the other thing, the New Zealand public won't appreciate it if you start to alternate your fast bowlers and then see every single fast bowler taking a massive paycheck and playing T20 cricket 300 days of the year. Yeah, I mean, we were speaking off here just before. It's one of the reasons I joined Baseball New Zealand, because I thought there was a lot to learn from cricket to baseball and baseball to cricket. Uh, New Zealanders or, or cricket fans aren't ready for that sort of rotation roster scenario. But I think it's the best way to get the best talent on the field. Um, the challenge for cricket is it's always a one-off final as opposed to a three-game series, a five-game series, a seven-game series where you can afford to have Trent Bolt play four out of the seven in the World Series equivalent. Uh, but because we play these one-off games, it doesn't uh, lend itself to that rotation. And we've seen Brendan McCullum do it a bit with Jimmy Anderson. and mm. 
I think, and I don't know, I look at that England team and there's obviously lots to, we could unpick that for quite a long time about the way they've gone about um, their sort of rejuvenation, but there is depth in that England squad now. They didn't mm. used to have it. They had two guys who were very good for a very long time. Now they have two guys who are very good and have been very good for a very long time. Now they have four or five other guys who can come in. Mark Wood has obviously expressed pace, but then you've got this mixture of the Ex- Ollie Robinsons and the yeah. other guys. They're just pulling them out of... They're coming out of the county system like you can't, you can't blink fast enough. And when you need that experience, you've got it. When you need that youthful exuberance, you've got it. Yeah, and it's that um, variety which is critical in a cricket uh, lineup. Yeah. And we've had it in the past with Wagner, Bolt, Southey, Jamison, um, Ferguson for pace. But when a couple of those guys do start to fall over, it does stretch the resources. Mm. OK, look, just quickly, one of the discussions we've had tonight is whether the umpires should be the ones that have the say in regards to players leaving the field due to bad light. I always thought it was understood that the batters traditionally went up and said, look, can't see the ball too well. There's often a little bit of a negotiation. OK, we'll take off our quicks, we'll just play our spin. Test cricket is in a predicament. We're trying to capture what caught us all in the 1980s, what caught us in the 1990s. McCullum's realised that test cricket needs to be get bums on seats. We had a most compelling of test matches between Pakistan and New Zealand, only for umpires to ruin the game. Who's right, who's wrong? How should have that played out? You, were, you, you can never go at this one, because well, I mean, Pete and I have just had a ten-minute conversation about this. this is going to be very yeah, you got, interesting. You got, you, you got about, about a minute. Seconds. You got about a minute. <laughs> Not you ten. Were, we kind of got to a point outside where it really depends what you value more: uh, eyeballs and fans watching the game, or the integrity of the history books. And for me, Test cricket is still obsessed with the integrity of the history books, and therefore, um, it will follow these crazy, outdated, draconian. draconian um, ways of maintaining consistency. It really should come down to it. The light meter should come out and it should say, okay, now we use a pink ball to finish this game because the light has got down to a level where we've created a pink ball to play day nine crests tests and yet you don't use it when low light um, happens. But only once both the batters at the other end have said, yep, they're happy with it. We're happy with it. <laughs> I think that's where you take it out of the, it's where you take it out of the player's yeah. hands because you can't have bowlers and batters deciding the outcome, whether the game continues. The umpire has to continue, but you've got to arm the umpire with the correct ability to do that, which is, and as Pete and I agreed, give them a pink ball after a certain point. So this is what we're playing with now. Okay, Tom Bartlett, and we've got Peter McGlashan in studio from 10 o'clock. They'll be joined out of Wellington by Daniel McCarty, Jeremy Coney, bringing you live coverage of the first one-day international between Pakistan and New Zealand. A special thanks to Ben Francis. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure having your company. If you are travelling around the country, do take care.